everybody, this is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode 23, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to my friend, Alex Brown. If you're following my personal social media accounts, you've heard of him. Only, you've heard of him referred to as Scrubs. And instead of me telling you how we met, I'm just going to welcome Alex to the show so we can share this story together. Scrubs, welcome to the show. Well, hey, Craig. Uh, Thanks for the invite and the welcome. I've been looking forward to doing this with you. So yeah, let's let's get started. It's been how long we've been trying to put this together? I want to say two months. Has it been that long? Yeah, a, a couple. Well, and, and I've been wildly busy. Um, I know you had a, a busy, crazy summer as you wrapped up after we finished our ride together. But then I uh, I moved to a new house. Uh, me and my wife closed on our new house on November 18th. So we're excited to really be planting some roots in our new area, uh, matching our new jobs that we started back in August. And, uh, yeah, so, but I'm glad we were able to nail this down, find some time and, um, share some stories together. So am I, it's been a whirlwind of chaos with all things good. That's probably a good way to sum that up. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So working through all that, we got it done. Here we are today. As we record, it is the 7th of December. So it's Pearl Harbor remembrance day. I know you're a military vet. If you watch my wild ass Wednesday shows on Facebook, just like I tell everybody, and I think I told you right when we met, thank you for your service. It's greatly appreciated. Sure, absolutely. And uh, and that's, that's why I know myself and a lot of my other fellow, fellow veterans do what we do and, and serve in the way that we can. We know not everybody can, and it's for the support and for, for home. This is why we do it, and the ability to share in things like this. So yeah, today is the day that the sleeping giant awoke, and uh, a day for remembrance, much like 9-11 has become what it has for my generation this was our predecessors of the greatest generation, and um, it's it's good to remember today. So, yeah, thanks for mentioning it. Yeah, absolutely. And more importantly, thank you for your service. The uh, sure. what what did you do in the military? Tell us about that. Share your military background. Sure. Yeah. So the the military journey started kind of as a later in life start. I initially was heading towards a, a life in in chaplaincy work. Uh, from previous experiences I had, I had a undergraduate degree in religious studies and anthropology from the University of South Carolina in Columbia. Did some seminary work uh, with the Lutheran seminaries in Pennsylvania. And then uh, that led to uh, roughly 15 months of chaplain residency where I was working in a hospital setting, um, taking care of the sick and the suffering and going, uh, having a lot of conversations with the divine and saying, I don't know if I'm, if I'm doing enough um, and, and serving in the right kind of way. And I felt more connected to healthcare. So I looked towards service. I was thinking chaplaincy with the military originally, but then shifted gears and said, maybe healthcare is how I'm meant for that service. And looking back towards my grandfather, who was a 20 year air force veteran, my brother and cousin who are both army guys in the South Carolina Army National Guard and said, I think this is where I need to be. So started as an ER tech and then switched over to active duty Army work where I, I went to basic at Fort Benning, Fort Sam Houston in Texas for medic school where all medics go to train and then was assigned to uh, the 101st Airborne Division at Fort Campbell in Kentucky, uh, where I served with a second of the 506th, which many of y'all may recognize from uh, HBO miniseries Band of Brothers. Um, my last assignment with them was with Second Platoon of Easy Company, and still miss those guys. But deployed once with them to Afghanistan in 2013, and came back home, kind of redirected my life, and knowing that I wanted to do advanced practitioner work and, and furthering my medical degrees, and looked towards the National Guard 
leaving active duty in August of 15, shifting that way to the National Guard and pursuing that academic career. So finished my bachelor's of nursing, commissioned into the uh, Army National Guard as a lieutenant as a nurse back three years ago now, roughly. And just this past May, finished my doctorate to be a family nurse practitioner, also through the Medical University of South Carolina, and continue to serve uh, just part-time in the National National Guard, which is a huge honor still and uh, awesome to be able to take care of our troops here at home while they're um, preparing to deploy to other places or do their annual wellness visits. That's kind of my, my new current role. And I'm actually switching. Um, we're in the process of transitioning to the Air National Guard. So uh, soon we take be taking care of airmen. And I'm sure my grandfather will be tickled uh, when I get over there and wear blue uniform like he did once upon a time. That's awesome. When you say you'll be taking care of them, talk us through that a little bit. I'm just curious because uh, I, sure. so, I could listen to this stuff all day. <laughs> sure, yeah. So every soldier or airman is required an annual periodic health assessment. So we get soldiers or airmen in and we go over their basic physical needs. We do their labs, their vaccines, their eyes checked, their ears checked, their dental health, everything that they need to be ready to deploy and make sure that they're healthy and capable and fit individuals for service. And then we'll also do pre and post deployment health assessments for these soldiers. So whenever they're actually getting ready to go or whenever they're coming back home and then reassessing on the backside to make sure there's no lingering issues they developed while they were in service to our country somewhere, uh, we're documenting and checking in on those things, making sure that their needs are being met, that, you know, they wrote that blank check to us. And so we're in turn making sure we're following up on that and making sure their, their care needs are being documented and connecting them with the right level of service that they need so they can take care of themselves and continue to serve as best they can. So I, we're kind of like a, a turnstile. I'm not attached to one specific unit. Uh, we see everybody. So all nine to 10,000 South Carolina Army National Guardsmen kind of roll through our unit at kind of turnstile. So we'll see two to 400 soldiers every day whenever we're drilling to make sure that their medical readiness is up to snuff and they're uh, ready to do what they come here to do. That's a huge number of soldiers. How many of you are there getting those people it, it kind of fluctuates a little bit. So we typically uh, show up with two platoons of, of individuals. So between 30 to 40 or so in each platoon, one platoon is all of our enlisted soldiers. So those are handling a lot of the, the taskings of those different checks and um, vaccines and screenings and other things that I was sharing with you about. And then there's a platoon of providers. And so that includes social workers for mental health, it includes dentists, it includes physicians, PAs, nurse practitioners, and our, our nurse corps. And we're the ones doing all the, the, the big screens and checking the blocks and making sure that all those needs are being met. So I'd, I'd say we maybe 70 to 100 individuals on our weekend staff. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that breaks the number down a little bit. I'm, I'm envisioning how the hell do you take care of 400 people? Get, yeah, yeah. You're, it, you're really taking care is, of uh, 8 to 12. Right. right. I, I would say when I'm when I'm in my role screening, I'm seeing I probably say upwards of fifty at least just coming through my station that I'm clearing. Sometimes I jokingly call myself to the soldiers, "Well, I'm the medical records review guy, so I make sure you're ready to go." So I'm kind of like the doctor's fluffer, if you know that term. <laughs> <laughs> so, but get them all ready so they can go there and, and get their needs met. And they don't have to be like kicked back to the end of the line and have to go get something else figured out. And, 
but yeah, so and the the new role with the Air Force, I'll be I'll be on that provider side, so I'll be the the that, that final check, that final say with their team taking care of our airmen for the state, which they have a really cool mission. We've got the uh, the Swamp Fox squadron down there, so I think they're F sixteen fighter pilots and all of the air crew that help keep that unit alive and breathing and moving and fighting our nation's wars. And so that's a really cool unit to help support and be a part of. That's cool. How did you, you, you mentioned you had family in the military. Is that what you did? You just followed in the footsteps, thought it was cool, looked up to grandpa. That's what you wanted to do. Or yeah. Yeah. Um, so my grandfather was air force, like I shared. So my mom was actually born in Germany as a service brat. Her two older brothers are, I believe were also born maybe overseas or back in the States, but then lived overseas as they grew up. So my entire life, I grew up going to Fort Gordon at Eisenhower Army Medical Center in Augusta, Georgia. I'm from Greenwood, South Carolina originally, but it's about an hour and change away. And so all my grandparents' health needs, as I was a kid growing up, we always went to the big Army hospital. And so that's where I first got exposed to them. And then later in life, I was involved in an Army ROTC in high school, and I really enjoyed that. And then, like I shared, my my younger brother joined right out of the gate as an 18-year-old to the Army National Guard. My cousin Luke did as well, also as a medic like myself initially. And then another kind of weird, cool thing that happened when I was a kid growing up on my dad's farm, the U.S. government actually leased our farmland in the late 50s, our farm and several other adjacent ones. And they had this thing called Operation Swift Strike. And Swift Strike was a Vietnam training scenario playground, basically, and uh, both the 101st and the 82nd jumped onto my family's farm back in the day. My aunt was caught, uh, I think, being a peeping Tom at one time because the boys were using our cow's pond to bathe. Um, <laughs> and so she got in some trouble. <laughs> but yeah, so we uh, we were one of the, the staging areas to prepare, prepare for operations. And me as a kid growing up there, there were things that were left behind. And so like, in old washing machines in the family barn, there was parachutes. Uh, my dad had uh, an old Vietnam era helmet that I still have to this day up on my shelf here that uh, one of the soldiers lost when he jumped. Um, and he actually, my dad found it later after the soldier had left in the bushes near where the jump site was. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, that guy lost his helmet because his chute failed. And he said the rope, he saw this guy in the random store and he had a big old bandage across his neck in the general store. And dad was like, you know, as a kid going, what happened to you, man? What's going on? And he's, you know, shoot failed. Uh, ropes came across. He had to cut those off his neck. And then he blew his reserve chute, was able to land safely. But when that the first chute flipped off, the helmet got tossed. And uh, so no helmet anymore. But we had it. So if, uh, if you know a soldier who lost uh, a helmet in Clinton or Joanna, South Carolina, I have your helmet. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. That's really cool. You'll send me a that. picture of that when we're done, just because I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so there's been lots of lots of military connections over the years, and kind of like what we we've shared. Like, we can't do and be who we are as a country without that service. And less than one percent serves. I have got that connection, and I I feel really honored and blessed to have been able to to be a part of that uh, legacy. So, very very cool. Yeah. So, talking about your family, it was grandpa. Brother, cousin. Right. Right. Mom's dad, brother and cousin all served. My brother, my grandfather's brother, Bill, also served in in Vietnam in the army. And then on my dad's side, one of his family lines even goes all the way back to 
a captain in the Revolutionary War. His last name was Templeton, but he's buried in, in Calpin, South Carolina. And so the progenitor of that line on the big, the trunk of the family tree is, uh, is an officer from the Revolutionary War, which is, it's pretty wild. That is really cool. That is really wild. Yes. The, uh, yeah. how did you, how'd you meet your wife then? It was, um, was that so that's, uh, that's kind of a, uh, yeah, it has nothing to do with the military stuff. Uh, and we, we, you know, we're both in healthcare. We're both uh, family nurse practitioners. Uh, she works in orthopedics and everybody always asks them for, we both do the same job. We're like, Oh, did you meet in the same hospital? And, and I typically like to get on this rabbit trail of a conversation going, Oh yeah. Well, like I, I saw her and I thought she was gorgeous and I kind of stalked her a little bit, not in the creepy kind of way, but I finally <laughs> introduced myself and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> So, no, we actually, we met on match. <laughs> we met online, like a lot of couples today, because where do you go to meet people? It's kind of wild. But yeah, so we started chatting and um, she had posted some travel pictures. So it looked like she was really into adventure. I was like, all right, that's, that's cool. She likes adventure. Um, she does a lot of medical mission work uh, with some different physicians, goes to Kenya, has gone to Costa Rica and some other places. So I thought that was really cool and respectable. And then she said she was into trilogy movies. So I was like, oh, what is, what is that? What is, what is this about trilogy movies? So um, I, I eventually talked her into a first date and we went to this Greek place called Stella's, and which is fantastic. If you're ever in Charleston, South Carolina, which is where we met, uh, go to Stella's. Great food. They've got this Greek flaming cheese. That was, that was the ticket. That was, <laughs> that, that, that's the older she says is the flaming cheese. So try that out. But um we uh, we started talking and she was like, oh yeah, well, I'm 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 a really big Star Wars fan and she also likes Lord of the Rings too and I said, well I I think I'm a bigger Star Wars fan than you and I said and she said I don't I don't know if you can prove that and so I said okay well I'll I'll do that I'll see I'll see you to that and I pulled out my phone and had pictures of me in uh, in stormtrooper armor which is uh, another pastime and hobby of mine and also kind of how I got into motorcycles so this is kind of a, a we could call this a nice little segue. I'm uh, involved in the 501st Legion, which is the uh, a professional nonprofit Star Wars costuming group. It was founded in 1997, and I started with them in 2010 uh, because I was a perfectionist and wanted to be a stormtrooper one day for Halloween. But then I learned about this group that does Star Wars stuff for charity, and the the progenitor of that group, Alvin Johnson, is from Columbia, South Carolina, but his daughter got ill with brain cancer. Her name was Katie or uh, Katie Johnson. And the crew that makes R2-D2 replicas, the R2 Builders Group, uh, came together in record time and made for Katie an R2 unit. But it had pink highlights instead of blue. And they named it R2-KT as an homage to her and her name. And that droid was was gifted to the family and they were able to take that as her shadow and mascot through all of her chemo treatments um, was parked at her bed at night and, and finished the rest of her journey with her and has since become an international spokes droid <laughs> for uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And uh, and it's actually been featured in some of the Star Wars films and little cameos. So if you see a pink droid in the background of a, of a frame, if you watch Star Wars, uh, keep an eye out for Casey. That's who she is. Um, and there's replicas now all over the world. Um, entertaining uh, adults and children alike um, with her presence and sharing that story. But that was the hook for me. And I said, okay, I can be a nerd, but I can also really be a nerd with a purpose. And so I, I found local guys that built these suits and, and we uh, will create master molds uh, amongst our community and polish and sand and dremel down and fit them to our, our body shapes. 
And uh, then, yeah, you end up with a walk-off-the-set movie-quality costume. And some of our guys have been featured in some of the new new films and series on Disney Plus uh, as, as background extras and characters. It's, it's that good. So, uh, yeah, uh, really cool stuff and, and a, a great way to, to give back and share a nerdy hobby and put a smile on a kid's face. It's, uh, it's amazing stuff. So, yeah, that all said, <laughs> after I showed her the picture of the uh, – the stormtrooper armor. She's like, "Oh, you may be my soulmate." <laughs> I was gonna say, and you get to do all of this with the girl you just met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I, uh, I, I, we, we joked it off. And normally that should be a red flag, right? Like, oh, well, she, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. We, we just met, but it, it didn't feel that way. And we continued to chat, and we continued to uh, to meet and have more dates, and uh, the rest is history. And just uh, two days ago, we had our second anniversary. So we've been married since December 5th of 2020 uh, in the height of the pandemic. We, we tied the knot off and um, we've been, yeah, going strong since. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So we got to meet her in Hot Springs. Um, yeah. Are there any children in your future or are we not talking about that yet? <laughs> Initially, we weren't talking as much, but the, but the more we get more settled, we've been talking more about it. It's something we're, we're entertaining the idea of. We both have said now that we we have our our home that we're ready to like plant some roots in. We'd like to like be and just settle and and focus on the two of us for this next year and really begin those conversations and have some discernment regarding what that may look like and how life will change because it does, as we all know. And uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we've we've talked about potentially like when that could be. Maybe maybe next February, not this February, but the following. Maybe trying and then. Or a fall baby, if that were who, who knows. But you know, we'll see what uh, see what God has in store for us, and we'll, we'll make the most out of it. And yeah, we'll see. Sounds perfect. So, turning this thing to you, how did you get into motorcycling? You said it kind of segued yeah. there with the stormtrooper deal, but oh, we did, and then we we looped back. And okay, yeah, oh, that's right. time. <laughs> So, the motorcycling thing actually, if you want to backtrack a little further before the Star Wars connection. My brother started riding just out of high school, and I rode on the back of his a little bit and had a blast. But even deeper than that, if you go to me as a five-year-old, I first got on a dirt bike. It was a little red Honda something. It wasn't mine. It was the neighbor's kid who had grown up and grown out of it. My dad put me on it with Danny, our neighbor, and uh, didn't really give me much instruction. And I think they started to explain when I wrapped on the throttle. And I was off. And I didn't know what was going on. At that time, the only kind of uh, bike experience I had was, uh, and this is uh, you know, early 90s, so the old school arcade game where you just kind of sway left and right on, on the motorcycle in the arcade. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, you kind of wrap your foot into it because it's more of a street style bike um, on the little, uh, little Speedway arcade game. And so I tried to find the foot pedal. I picked my foot up too high. And it got caught in between the rear tire and the fender and um, sucked my foot forward and then was like kind of pressed against the frame of the bike. I was like, oh, God, I'm just going to lay this thing over. And and I said, OK, I'm, I think I've had enough. And I think about that time, too. My mom came out and she was like, oh, what's going on? And, you know, that, that was kind of the end of my dirt bike uh, adventure as, as a five year old. But um, OK, so we'll, we'll progress forward. I loved bicycles. Mountain bikes were cool. Um, had them growing up, 
my brother, like I said, had uh, a love for motorcycles. I had a V-Star when I was in my college years and, and you know, he was high school and then early college years and he's been uh, biking ever since. But just kind of more around town kind of joy riding, um, not any real, real serious motorcycling. But fast forward to the Star Wars connection. So station at Fort Campbell, doing things with my local 501st Legion chapter there. I had two suits at this time. I had a Stormtrooper um, uniform and I had a TIE Fighter pilot, which I was able to build there in person with a good buddy, Tambo, because he had the master molds for all the, the hard parts for the helmet and the little chest box and all the, the parts there. Uh, and I said, wouldn't it be cool if we, when we're doing our upcoming Christmas parade, to have something like what the Shriners do? Like, we've got guys out there marching and we've got a parade float, but the Shriners, they've got like little dudes on go-karts. And my grandfather had picked up this little Chinese 49cc scooter. I can't even uh, remember or probably couldn't pronounce correctly the name of the, the scooter company. And when I went back and looked for it, they're out of business now, so I, I don't even know. But I was like, what if I painted this thing TIE Fighter Blue, like from the old Kenner toys, and put some, like, figured out a way to, like, stick some TIE Fighter-looking wings, like the, the, the bow tie general shape on it, and was able to ride it around for the Christmas parade amongst the float and amongst our troopers as they're walking and interact with the crowds, much like the Shriners do. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be amazing. So I get this moped up to Fort Campbell, and I learn I can't ride it. I'm not allowed to ride it. Why can't I ride it? On the base, or why are you not allowed to? I couldn't ride it on base because I didn't have the right credentials. To operate a two-wheeled motor vehicle, motored vehicle being the caveat, you have to attend a motorcycle safety course. You have to attend the MSF course, which as an Army active duty service member, for any of you Army or other military members out there, know that this is a free course that is provided to you by the government, and it's a paid day. So go get paid to learn to ride a motorcycle. It's a two-day course. They teach you all you need to know. They have their own bikes there, so you'd, I didn't need to like bring my own or supply one. They would have probably laughed at my moped. But by the rules and regs, I was required to take this course. So took it on their little 250cc Suzuki Cruiser, and I was hooked. I was done. <laughs> was uh, riding um, really easily along the course, learning all the the, the do's and don'ts, and and I appreciated it learning out the gate from professional instructors. So I didn't learn the bad habits off the rip that you have to unlearn and then relearn. So with that, took it and then was able to ride the little scooter on post, which I, I did for a little while. We weren't ever able to make the, the parade float happen and that's okay. But once I got out of active duty and shifted gears back towards home, that's when I was able to buy my first motorcycle and moved to Charleston and wanted to get around. And I had a buddy who was an extra and stunt guy for the Walking Dead series. Okay. He ended up in a bind and was making this like really cool, like themed, tricked out KLR 650. That's uh, like end of end of days. Maybe you should see this thing at um, oh, like Burning Man or something because it had like the big 50 cal ammo cans as panniers on the side <laughs> and some other like he had, he had wrapped the exhaust and done some other things to make it look more like a a rat rod type of a KLR, but he ended up in a pinch and needed a new transmission for a truck. So he sold it to me for cheap. And, and that was the, uh, the first bike. So, uh, I, I liked it. I liked the idea of it because the KLR is, you well know, it's the jack of all trade, but ace of none. 
and I could figure out what kind of style I wanted to be and do. And then learning in the the, the streets and dirt roads around Charleston uh, was was a little uh, was a little in, interesting, a little tenuous at times. But we we did, and then from learning on that, I progressed forward to meeting the Combat Veterans Motorcycle Association, which I had seen around Fort Campbell, but didn't know much about. Looked into them, found out about the the work that they do, and they're another nonprofit group that's one of the largest veteran motorcycle associations out there, probably the largest. And their whole motto is Vets Helping Vets. I'm like, cool. Guys that ride that are veterans like myself that can help me like learn to ride a little better and have a community and people to like answer questions and be a part of. And the uh, the requirements were you had served overseas somewhere in combat to be a full member. You had a bike that was 500 cc's or greater and you rode it. And well, I've got those two things down. My bike is 650. Now, I was not the fast guy. <laughs> I was uh, I was slow, but um, <laughs> we they 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 managed. Uh, they knew it. We had a lot of laughs about me being on the little KLR hog and um, upgraded uh, in short short sequence to uh, a Yamaha V Star 1100. So that was my first cruiser. So what year? Um, what and that year was a- did you get the KLR? So I got, well, I think it was officially 2001, but I got it in 20, what was that? Probably 2017. Yeah, 20, 2016 or 17. Okay. So I've only been riding, riding since 2017. So okay. five years, six years. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. You haven't been riding for a long time. No, no. It's, okay. it's been a brave new world. Yeah, so you <laughs> went from the, Rom, or the KLR to... The V Star, correct. And which V Star did you have? Was there eleven hundred? Um, yeah. I think it was a twenty eleven. Okay, that's a nice um, bike. It, yeah, it, it was great. It, uh, I did my first long distance ride on that from Charleston, South Carolina to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and got a little little beat up on it. And uh, it, it didn't no, like no wrecks or whatever, but like <laughs> compared to the Cadillac that I ride now <laughs> or the, the one that I'm about to get, definitely. Uh, a lot more uh but it's a sturdy bike and v-stars have been great it's it's what my brother first had when we were younger he had a, a v-star 650 and so it was a brand that i knew it's something that i was familiar with and had had good remarks as far as reliability and cheap to work on so yeah that was that was the start that's awesome and then from the v-star where'd you go from there so from the, the v-star i i knew that i wanted to do after that the trip to louisville that I wanted something to do more longer distance, that I enjoyed the open road and wanted to do longer distances more comfortably. And so after I graduated from nursing school with my BSN, I started looking at Indians and Harleys and trying to figure out which way I wanted to go. I showed up to the Indian dealer in Savannah to look at a used bike because they had a pretty big selection of used bikes. And I said, you know, well, there, I'm going to ask, well, are there any other like really good deals that you have right now that I should be looking at? And the sales guy at the time said, Oh yeah, look, look right over here next to the uh, usual one you're looking at. And it was a 2018 Chieftain limited and it was one of their demo bikes. And so it had like 900 miles on it and was crazy reduced in price for being the demo bike, like five grand. And then, you know, as a thank you for your service, here's another thousand bucks off. And I was like, Oh, Oh, that's, that's cool. That's nice. And then uh, 
oh, and we're doing a special right now. It's 1.99% financing. I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> that's even better. And whereas the other bike, the used bike was older, more miles on it with a higher interest rate around like eight or 9% or something. This was going to be just a little more, but I would pay less in interest. So it balanced out and I said, I'll, I'll take the new one, sir. And so that, that got my start with Indian and, uh, it's now got right at 45,000 miles on it. So I've averaged 10 plus thousand a year since I bought it, uh, in December of 18. So and, that's the bike uh, and that's what I have now. Right. Right. So that's the bike that I rode the, the hook of hay on with you this summer. And, uh, yeah, that's cool. So that, yeah, I mean, you bring uh, up the Hoka Hay. So you've been riding five years, roughly. Right. Uh, roughly. Well, four and a half, probably, more like four. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. you decide to tackle the Hoka Hay. How did you even hear about the Hoka Hay? Yeah, so I uh, heard about the Hoka Hay actually from a Raymond Google search. So an, another, you, you'll, you'll learn here, I guess, now that I've, I've got a lot of hobbies. <laughs> the One of the other hobbies I had from when I was back in Boy Scouts years ago was leatherwork. And so I was uh, carving and tooling different things for the, for the Indian. And I said, I'm going to make like some fanatic um, heat shields and like uh, replace the tank bib and make the Indian more, more mine. And so the Indian had a, had a thunderstroke engine with a thunder black pearl paint job. And I was reading and, and had connection with this guy named Black Elk who wrote Black Elk. Well, uh, another guy did a, his biography, um, but it's called Black Elk Speaks, and it talks about one of uh, one of many of his visions. Talks about the the thunder beings of the uh, Lakota Sioux people and this vision that he had of them kind of rolling across the, uh, the, the the skies of the plains and the the absolute terror that they bring, but then the peace of everything after the fact. And I, I don't have that quote off the top of my head, but I. Took, took the quote about these thunder beings and the peace that they bring because that really spoke to me as like, well, this is, this is the peace that I experienced through writing and, and something that I enjoy. And, um, so a mural of Black Elk was carved and tooled on one side of the heat shield. And then on the other side was this quote. And then I started looking up other folks related to Black Elk. And I found out that he was at the Battle of Little Bighorn with his cousin, who uh, we know led that battle. and the thing that was shouted as the as the whole thing started was Hoka Hay. And so I looked up Hoka Hay and was looking up and Googling image searches for Hoka Hay themed things because I thought that was like a cool, like the, the direct literal translation supposedly means something like let's go or charge. Another explanation of it is it's a good day to die because that's the whole mentality of, you know, putting your all out there on the line. And, and living your best life right now, being present in the moment. And from that Google image search popped up that first image of the Hokahe Motorcycle Challenge logo. And I said, well, what is this? <laughs> I, need to, I need to look into it. And so that took me down the rabbit hole of finding the website and then looking up YouTube videos and trying to figure out more about what this ride was and going, I really like some long distance stuff. And I've, at this point had done an iron butter too. I want to figure out how to sign up for this. That's kind of, that's how we found it. And uh, initially I thought I wasn't going to be able to do it this past year because I've missed the signups, but me being vigilant and just hanging out and keeping an eye on, on the Facebook and social media, uh, Beth Durham, who is uh, the late founders, a wife and, and head of the, their board of directors had posted 
that they were that they had some people drop out for the 2022 year and that they were taking applications again and I was I was first to it <laughs> I was ready because I knew at that point that I I had the summer lined up where I could have some time to take off I could be between jobs and make it work so uh, I reached out to them I sent them an email and dropped an application uh, and in mid April just before the ride started I I was given a number and and a place <laughs> to ride this challenge with you and so then then started the real scramble of trying to figure out what what did I just sign up for? What does this really mean? And how am I going to do it? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's yeah, yeah all those um, questions. And, once you commit and you pay that entry fee, it's like, oh, what have I just done? How how am I yeah, going to do this? Well, right. Um, what did because honestly, in my brain, oh, seven hundred fifty bucks, and 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 this is this is how novice I was and how little I looked into it. And I actually told my wife this. I said. That that should cover like the hotel stays and we're going to ride as a pack because I saw the picture of like everybody leaving out together. So I really thought it was 10,000 miles of this pack of warriors like traveling down the road together on this crazy adventure and staying in hotels and like everything was going to be hunky dory. I didn't realize the adventure I was signing up for. I knew that uh, there was uh, no GPS allowed and I knew we had to use turn by turn directions. But not until I was talking with Beth and getting some more pieces of the pie and, uh, and, and Junie, when she reached out to help in the interview process, did I find out more of what this really meant. And hearing it from their own words and talking with them about their experiences, like I, I knew without a doubt that, yeah, I, I want to do this. And, and this really with my medical career, you can't just take off a month from a practice. I don't know when I'll be able to have this chunk of time again. So, it really all lined up well. The, the proverbial stars aligned to to make this year happen for me. Yeah, that's that's great, and it is. It's it's just crazy how that works out because I'm in the same boat where everything just fell into place, and this ride took part in this open window that I had. My window was only three right. weeks, so yeah, like literally the weekend before I was uh, where I think I was in New York for uh, a motorcycle event. Or maybe I was, no, Springfield, Missouri for the BMW event and then got home, basically loaded the van and headed out west. And that's when we saw you. We met up with you in person. But the first time we met was uh, Greenville, South Carolina. (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) Tell me your version uh, of On Mother's Day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so that was pretty great. Um, so, So Craig and I were talking, shooting messages back and forth because at this time I was signed up, I was ready to go and. And I, I had a seat cushion, but I wasn't a super fan of it. And we'll, we'll leave out the details about which other ones I had for posterity. But I knew there were some other riders out there and I had seen his. And I was like, that's, that's a little pricey. But if it really gives that level of quality, man, I, I'm, I'm all about it. Let's do it. And, and, and to be fair, it's, it's not nearly the price that it should be for the joy that your seat brings to the, the game to allow you to extend your riding. Like, and, uh, you know, Hopper and Raya and Paco that I, I learned after the meeting, we either further affirmed that, but yeah, so I reached out to Craig and we were going back and forth and Craig was supposed to be coming down to Myrtle beach bike week. And, uh, I, I think with that, try to make it there, right? Like, it yeah, was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'll, go there, so I'll pick it up there or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's right. So I was in Charleston, which is like two hours away from Myrtle. He was on the way there. I was just going to, you know, ride up one of the weekends while Craig had his, his stuff set up. And then 
we started calling and, and getting scheduled and whatever. And then we found out that you showed up to, to Greenville en route early. And I, I think that's because some dates got screwed up, <laughs> but yeah. you ended up there for like a week. Yep. Yeah. We were going um, to the event to work with J and P cycles and they sent <clears> me the dates for a week earlier. So we were at uh, uh, South Carolina for an entire extra week, but it worked wow. out. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out. So I, I contacted Craig and a buddy of mine, Justin, who was, who was a riding buddy of mine and was at my wedding and uh, was in the combat veterans motorcycle association with me. His mom lives in Easley, which is right outside of Greenville. And my mom lived in Greenwood. So we had decided, Oh, well, Let's let's do a, a Mother's Day ride and take the back roads and we'll go up, visit both moms, surprise them, and then be feet back or, you know, get back on the, the ride back to Charleston. And so in the process of that, I, I reached out to Craig and said, hey, you want to rendezvous while I'm like in your area? And we, we were able to. And so we met at a, a hot spot gas station. <laughs> I met a, a, two guys on bikes meeting a, a dude in a panel van selling <laughs> hot ass cheeks <laughs> out of the back of his van. But yeah, we made the deal and got to meet. And I think, I think Renee and Callie were with you. Yeah. I think we were, uh, all, we were all down there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, You're all, all down there. So we got to, to meet, the, uh, meet your wife and, and meet her. And I think it was Renee's birthday coming up. Yes. If I remember. Right. Yep. And uh, yeah. And then, um, you mentioned the podcast, so we, we talked about that, and I was like, okay, yeah, well, I'll, I'll I'll follow up and I'll listen to those, and and then we we met again, paths crossed again uh, randomly on the way to the Hokey Challenge uh, when we met with Clockworks in in Mitchell, South Dakota. <laughs> we ended up there at the same time, so that was was cool, and then was able to meet Brian and, and his whole team, and I know you interviewed him earlier in your podcast as well, but. Super cool, dude. The staff are amazing. Their products are fantastic. I, I feel like I'm just plugging everybody during this interview. <laughs> Nobody's going <laughs> to I promise. No, 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 no. But like just the solid team. I, I learned about them because they supported an Iron Butt Challenge that I did years prior uh, supporting Operation Homefront, which is a group that takes care of military families back here stateside. And they had donated a Clockworks windshield. So I had one of their windshields on my bike from a raffle that I won. And so I'll, I'll continue to, to praise and um, talk about them. And I've already bought uh, their windshield for my new uh, 23 Pursuit that's coming in hopefully here in a couple of weeks. So I hear it's on ground in Savannah now at the dealership. So it's super exciting. But that'll be one of the first things I throw on the new bike, one of their flare windshields. So, so get you one if you don't have one or, or try one out. It's, it's well worth your time. But yeah, so we met there and we're able to continue pressing forward uh, and we kind of convoyed to the to the challenge and got suited up and ready and continued to kind of touch base back and forth through the ride too. Yeah, so that got us to the Hokahe and that's the main reason I wanted to have you on here. So we ran the Hokahe together, which is right. a unique experience for lack of better words, right? We have- <laughs> To say the least, and, right. And- so we got in touch before that, and then we ran into each other at, at Clockworks, and then we, like you said, we caravaned out, and literally we were contacting almost hourly the whole time we were out there. Yeah. And ever since, we've stayed in touch. But one of the things, and the, the thing that I wanted to bring up, or the reason I wanted to have you on the show, I should say, is you know we've stayed in touch ever since the Hokahe also. And in one of our conversations, you had said something that really hit home with me, and I don't remember your exact words, and maybe it'll come to mind when I say this, but 
basically you made the comment in our conversation that we we're talking about the whole okay, you don't have anybody mm-hmm. to share the stories with. Um, yeah. And I, and I don't, I don't know if you, you've listened to all my episodes. John Farian was episode seven. That guy is a wizard with words. And I, I just aspire to be as good as him with words and I'm not, but you had said something to the effect of having no one to share the story with. And that really resonated with me because it, it's, I think we're probably on the same boat. Like who have I shared this yeah. story with? Am I repeating myself? I'm trying not to make, you know, every conversation about me and the Hoka. Hey, right. I mean, I, we did this great right. ride, but nobody cares really. You know, there's a few people right. that want to hear stories, but it's like, man, we don't get to share this stuff. And I thought, you know, this is a perfect opportunity to get you on here. I'm sitting here literally with the 48 state map and I want your stories because it's an opportunity for you to share them, but it's also an opportunity for us to relive those. Absolutely. So that's what I wanted you here. And I almost have, I I have almost no notes and that's why my entire, like I wrote down a couple things here, your fundraiser. And then I'm looking at a map of the 48 States. That's it. So this is totally scrubs hokahe experience as good as we can nail it down. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. As much as we can nail it down and, and what time we have. So and I, yeah. In, in a similar way, I, it reminds me of, and, and you can you have to say this lightly, but with veterans who have served overseas and, and we'll, those of us that have done that will be able to, to share and say, you they and they'll they'll have a hard time talking to anyone else about it unless you were there because you have no way to really relate. Sure. And and when you talk to other bikers and you tell them like, yeah, I just did this thing and they look at you like you're you're crazy, you're nuts, you're you're amazing, you're whatever, and you want to share more about it, but like you gotta put it in a nugget because they don't have the time to sit there and like let you gush about what all you really experienced out there in such a whirlwind event that it, like you said, is unique to itself without sharing and talking about it with other Hokahe riders. Like for instance, I love my wife and I love my family, but none of them really get, they, they, they were out there, they were supportive, but they can't experience it the same way. Like you can, or we can, or talk with others about it. And, you know, hopefully someone will get something out of this and they, they take a listen too. Yeah. And what's crazy is, the different stories that come from the same ride. So you and I had already committed to recording this podcast before I did the Twister episode. And and you'll have to go back and find that one if anybody hasn't heard it. But we talked about certain parts of the Hokahei. And I had talked to Riot afterwards. And he, man, I can't believe the different stories. He he said, I was I on the same ride? Because it was totally different right. for me. So it's, right. it's really... It's cool to hear other people's stories and I want yours because I want to know if I yeah. experienced the same thing, what we experienced different. I know there was a lot of differences, but yeah. I want to start at the very beginning, not the morning of more like the night before when everybody's at the dealership, you know, what was going on, what was going through your head? Cause at this point you were still there by yourself. I had, I was, yeah. I had, I was blessed with, parents were there. Renee was there. I had people. You were kind of there by yourself. Yeah. What was going through Um, your mind? I, uh, you know, there was, there was 
John, who was also there, and, and we ended up doing a lot of the ride together, but we were also very much doing our own thing at that point. It was it was odd because there was all different kinds of people there. There were mostly, it felt like a, a lot of older riders, like more more older riders than I expected. And I say older than me being a 37-year-old guy kind of in the middle of his career. There was a lot of people sharing stories and there was obviously real community with those that had ridden before maybe had known one another from other runs as well and and i'm i can be very much an extrovert but i'm in a, in a new place i i do a lot of kind of not not calling myself a wallflower but we'll kind of stand back and just kind of take it all in see where everybody is and uh was able was really honestly thankful for for yourself and a couple others that i met along the way that were engaging and talking but yeah it was i had a lot of like maybe imposter syndrome it'd be a good word like do i belong here am i supposed to be here is this the right place am i am i really going to do this and the answer was yes i am going to do it but uh i am you know, really question yourself if you're if you're really prepared for what is about to be the next morning, or what you think um, it's going to be. Yeah, or exactly because you you can't really can't really plan for. It. I mean, you can, but but it's just, just like any good army plan, you it, it it never goes the way it's going to. My it reminds me of a refrigerator magnet that my mom had when I was a kid growing up, and it says "People plan and God laughs." Um, so there's. Uh, I imagine a lot of a lot of laughter going on as to what we may be expecting would would show up mm-hmm. um, for us to face and experience. <laughs> the uh, but, saying uh, that comes yeah. to mind is that night they told us how they were going to line us up. No, that was the next morning. That was the next yeah, morning they told us how they were going to line us up. And the saying that came to mind because I had a plan was Mike Tyson saying, "Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face." And I yeah. remember they yeah, they exactly. announced the lineup, and I went. I think I just got punched in the face because I don't have a plan anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I know a lot of folks were planning like Pat and AJ who came in second and third place. And Pat was a, was a seasoned rider and had a lower number and AJ was brand new and, but they were split up. And so they were going to have to connect if they were going to ride together. They're a, you know, uncle nephew combo riding team and, and they, they crushed it. But yeah, I think a lot of people were really thrown off and, and, and original ride plans just out the gate. Like, Oh man. That messed you up, but uh, you know, being out there and and at the start and uh, Blackie coming through and, and blessing everybody's bike with uh, burning the white sage and trying to you know just allowing you to take your moment, center yourself, and get ready. That was uh, that was a moving moment before the ride. That I think the morning before the the night prior, the memorial service for Big Jim for for James, who was the the founder of it, was was moving to go to and with all the members out there and the memorial that, that we had in his honor it was really cool to, to see and experience. And, and honestly, that, that was my first time in Circus too. I've never been there. So there was uh, so much to, to see and want to experience. Thankfully, I got there a little early and was able to, to ride Iron Mountain Road and um, see a couple of things. But um, yeah, it was, it was really like a, a step into a whole lot of firsts in very quick succession. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you got you did some riding before the start. I did, yeah, yeah. I, I did get a little in. Went through the uh, Custer State Park uh, looking for buffalo. Didn't see a one. Uh, I thought that might might be a sign. Did see some cool prairie dogs. That was a first. And then took Iron Mountain 
and all the, the pigtails on that road, which were super cool. And got some good food while I was there. Saved a couple things, didn't do needles until the end, and then took my wife back through there because at the end of the whole ride, as, as you mentioned meeting her, she flew out to, to join us. And then we trailered the bike home and carpooled together because she doesn't want to ride those sort of long miles. But I trailered the bike there ready to go because my Indian dealer in Savannah had got me all tuned up. I was set and ready to roll. And so kind of like yourself, showing up with your bike ready and all maintained by your dad, which I thought was super awesome. And then all the support that you had there, we were able to just put it on the on the start line and, and take off like ready yeah, um, with everything primed and set. Yeah, that was very cool. So morning of, let's talk about, did you get any sleep the night before? Barely. Really? <laughs> maybe maybe three four hours maybe and it was it was light sleep funny story the day prior i went to the indian dealer in sturgis and because i was seeing all the folks with lower fairings and i was thinking about long distances and fatigue and whatever so i went and they had these leather lower closeouts for my my highway doors I'm, I'm gonna put these things on the bike and that's gonna give me some uh, some great you know fatigue saving stamina for this long ride that I'm about to embark on and spend the, you know, whatever, how much that was for those and went home. And that evening after I finished the little roundup gathering, we went back to the hotel room and I, I went and soaked them in hot water because they're super tight and went back down to the pipe and stretched them out and put them on and tried to lay there and, and just kept going through checklist after checklist. And uh, do I have all the things? Do I know what I'm going to wear tomorrow? Do, you know, <laughs> anything that I could do to try to make the day as successful as possible. Uh, and then I finally drifted off at some point. And uh, we made the, the, the next day the, the best we could. And we ended up, you know, at the same, same stopping point. But, but the funny story about the closeout was that first long stretch that we all did together and then just kind of released from there, we were getting to that first gas station there's some guys that had stopped and i was like oh yeah i've still got plenty of gas whatever and so kept pushing forward and then there was no gas for like some time and i realized that my tank was dwindling and dwindling a lot faster than i'm used to it and what i figured out is those cutouts were catching wind like sail but the wrong direction i wasn't going with the wind i was against it and so that was really like noticeably tanking my fuel economy so I roll into the gas station on fumes and just immediately rip those things off. I'm like, okay, I'm done with these. Stuff them in the saddlebag. They have not been back on the bike since, but I have them. Uh, so if anybody wants to get that, you let me know. I'll mail them to you. <laughs> so but, um, when they, do you remember yeah. the, the start that you talked about the sage and everything? What was going through your mind when the line started moving? What? I can't remember your number. I don't know why. Uh, so I was 1065. 1065. Um, so you were 40, yeah, 50 bikes ahead of me, 45, 50 bikes. What was your thought as that yeah. line started moving? So to paint the picture for the listeners, there's about 185 bikes that there was yeah. two lines in the front. So maybe like the first hundred bikes or 75 bikes were in two lines. And then it made three. There was a, a left, a center and a middle or a left, a center and a right, right rather. And it, everybody started their bikes and it seemed like forever because the way they started us was numerical order. So I was way in the back. There was four numbers. Behind oh, yeah. me. I was ahead of a few more than four yeah. guys because they took their time getting down there. But yeah. what was your thought process as the line started moving and then through uh-huh. Sturgis? Do you remember that? It, uh, 
well, I mean, you know, like you said, it, it took forever to, for us to like get started. And I was, I mean, just, just ahead of you by a few bikes in the grand scheme of things, but it felt like that the line was so long. And thankfully we, we kind of had an escort and it was early morning. So there wasn't a lot of traffic out on the road, but it, it kind of felt like the creep up the roller coaster. Uh, like uh, you hear all the, the, the engines roaring being like the individual click, 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 as you're getting ready to like embark on this thing. Mm-hmm. And remembering Beth's mention of the warhorse carvings and the remembrance of those that had ridden this ride before in other ways and, and didn't make it back. And thinking about what can I do to make this the best ride I can. Again, like the universe aligned for me to make this happen, and I'm here. And what can I do to to make this the best ride that I I can for myself? And what am I going to get out of it? And how am I going to learn to ride my ride that you know so many folks have, have shared with me up until now? Like the wisdom of the elders and sages of the ride has said, you know, get out there and ride your ride. And how much you're gonna you're gonna change as an individual? I don't know how am I going to be different after this? And what's you know, it's just, it's a flood of emotion. It really is. And just trying to take that all in just one thought at a time as it kind of populates in your head and you kind of manage that and you deal and something else, you know, pops in your brain and you kind of deal and you move forward. It was, there was a lot of those like passing thoughts and experiences as you're grinding up those miles as, as we move through the ride too of just, um, how is this, how is this changing? How is this shaping? What is, what is really happening? It was just, it's a very existential experience to be out there for that kind of time in these new places and being hit with the, the fights and the smells and the experiences that you're seeing. And and for me, a lot for the first time, because prior to this was, I had ridden to Boise, Idaho once on my bike. I had been to Texas before, but not on a motorcycle and nowhere else after. And so, so many places we went were brand new to me. So that was really wild and uh you know kind of like the first day too um just getting into the rhythm of seeing how far my bike will go how far my body wants to go and and i think you know you and i were, were pretty much kind of side by side you i'd pass you at a gas station you'd yeah. pass me at a gas station we were leapfrogging it, each other yeah yeah so the ride um, the ride started we, in rapid city I, I don't know i think everybody knows that that listens to the show i'm not sure but it, we started in rapid city we almost went straight north like way north in, in uh, yeah. North Dakota. Like, I want to say it was, was it Minot? Basically, we went straight north and took a right. But I didn't, I don't think I caught you until what I believe would have been my third gas stop. Because you didn't stop. You were just able to go a lot farther than I was. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And you it's got caught in a line, thing. if I'm not mistaken, where I leapfrogged yep. past you. And I didn't, I didn't know this, obviously. I, I don't think you noticed it either, but then... You got going, oh, no, the, and I stopped. First, and then at one point, we the were at the time, same gas stop. Yeah, I, I don't remember whether it was the first one or a later one, but there was one where you you saw my bike parked up, like if I had gotten gas and gone up to, you know, because you move off the, the pump so that others can get to it. Yep. And everyone can keep flowing through. But I, I came out from using the bathroom, and you, you tagged my bike with one of your stickers, and I was like, ah, <laughs> you found me. <laughs> And then on a later one too, we uh, we learned that the U.S. fleet tracking um, service was a, a little bit of a, a mess at times for us. It was a piece and, of uh, shit. I'll say it. For <laughs> <it was>. Yeah, <laughs> things suck. Uh, <laughs> you know, 
it's just funny. It's that, uh, you know, it, it broke on me before I even started the rock. And it was kind of a blessing because I was coming back through the, the valleys, coming back from Custer National Park, and I kept going back and looking at the app when I got home. I'm like, why is my thing not back where it should be? Like, why, why is it not centered on the hotel, like where am I, where I am? And so I went that next morning, which was the day before the ride, because U.S. Fleet Trackers had their, had their little people there in their little tent, and I went up and they taught me how to reset it. I'm like, okay, I can do this. Hopefully it won't happen much. And it only happened to me, I think, two or three times, but you, I know you yourself and several others, like, it was nonstop. It was, yeah. And I, and I think that might have, I don't know if that was the first time we had met up on the first day or the one of the later times, but I had mentioned it to you that, yeah, I guess my tracker's yeah. not working. Because yeah, what yeah. would happen is everybody would start, you know, texting Renee or calling Renee or calling my dad or my uncle. And they're like, what's going on? Why is he stopped? Mm-hmm. I didn't know any of this. And then they'd send me a, a text or whatever. Hey, your tracker's not working or something. I don't remember. But I think that's what it was. It was text that your tracker's not working. And then we got stopped. Yeah, and then you're like, well, here's how you fix like it. My mom blessed her too. Yeah. She, yeah, she hey. was like, hey, you're, you've been there for a while. Like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> to pull over and reset things. Yep. So pull over, take half your bike apart because we had ours buried, yeah. you know, because yeah. that's where we thought it should go. And yeah, the after that, I figured out a way to keep it in the saddlebag so I could just pop the lid open and, and fix it. Cause yeah. It was, but, well, it was, was no fun. lie every single day and most days, two times or more that I had to Jeez. reset that. That's crazy. Yeah. I think it only really like on the ride happened twice. And my, the tracker itself was outside of the bike. But the, my wire disconnect was still under my seat. So I had to take all my luggage off, take my seat off, get to that wire, disconnect that wire, disconnect it from somewhere else, take the little chip out, you know, do the whole reset process, put it all back together, and then put my bike back together. But, yeah, hopefully for future events, they'll they'll take that into consideration. Maybe they will get better, or maybe there'll be a different service opportunity for a different tracking service. I know a lot of folks use Spotwalla, and a lot of the long-distance riding community will use that. I don't know if that's not a feasible option for them or what, or if they were just sponsored or how that works with the board, but I'm sure they'll hopefully take all those notes into consideration. I'm sure they heard that, that complaint from several. Yeah. But, and I, you know, and it's, it's, we're really asking a lot. I mean, this is yeah. really, this is not a first world problem. I'm pretty sure it is. Right. We're, no, we're not asking at all. a tracking device to send a signal through a cell service where we know we don't get service because our phones don't show any signal. And now we wanted to transmit this signal to the web where people at home or on their phones can log in and see where we're at. There should probably be a yeah. pickup. So I probably complain a little more than I need to about it, but I had more problems than most. I think. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You had a few <laughs> more problems okay. than, than, than me at least. And the other thing I did too, and for folks maybe considering future rides is I had a, a little Garmin GPS and it's called the inReach two. And I kept it charged and, the cool thing was I had it in my jacket pocket. So if I got separated from my bike, I could still send SOS signals if, say, my bike's down a ravine and I'm not, or vice versa. But I was also able to send text through that from my phone. So you can connect your phone to it. And so say I'm stopping for the night and I want to test base with loved ones and say, hey, pause for the evening. I'm good. I'm safe. And I have no cell phone signal because we're in the middle of nowhere. You can do that. So I don't know what other folks use, but I found that was effective for me and helpful to, to stay in contact with the folks who, who care about me out there. 
Yeah. So that was, was that part of the deal with those at home? Cause I know that was the deal in my case is Renee had to know every night when I stopped that I was good. And fortunately I had cell signal at every single place I stopped at night, except for one. And instead of texting her from a strange number, I called her, which totally causes panic, but unintentional <laughs> of course, but I'm like, Hey, right. it's me. I'm calling it a night. Here's where I am. I, if there's mm-hmm. no signal, this is where I'm at. So was that part of your deal? Every night you had to let them know you were safe. Yeah, yeah, that, that was kind of the, the 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 same kind of ritual. And I think there were like just a couple of spots. I know when we stopped in Idaho, I didn't have signal, and I know when we stopped, I stopped in in Washington State. I didn't have signal there. I was on on the side of the road, basically like a truck pull off spot in the middle of nowhere. But it, just about everywhere else, yeah, I had enough signal to at least fire off a text message. So. And, you know, I did better than what I expected, but, you know, you always, uh, here's another old army adage of oh, <laughs> never getting caught with your pants down. Or if you want to be a Boy Scout and make it a little more PC, um, you know, that your be prepared motto, just think about anything you can and, and try to mitigate that risk. Yeah. And, you know, if you're thinking about those things, hopefully it'll, it'll make your loved ones feel a little more comfortable with you being out there and exposing yourselves to uh, the kind of ride that this is. Yeah. Yeah. We had almost two fail-safes to the tracking system. My uncle, he's like, oh, I want to try this. He had one of those Apple discs Yeah, yeah. He, he keeps on his bike. So he came over one day and we taped it to the inside of my bag lid. So he always knew where I was. And then ah, Renee cool. also can track my phone. So she always knew yeah. where I was. So when people would call her, you know, she could pull up her phone and say, he's moving, he's safe, his tracker is just not working. So which yeah. really was nice. a good peace of mind. So my dad yeah. called my uncle Marty or Renee. And then, you know, those two always knew that I was moving, you know, and if not, then Renee knew that I was stopped for the night, which was pretty much right. always after she went to bed. But that was a good fail safe for us yeah. is yeah, there, sure. there was people able to, to see that I was still moving, even though my tracker was, you know, in the middle of a median in the middle of some nowhere area. But let's talk about the, the ride itself. We started day one, South Dakota into North Dakota. Do you have any memories or anything from those uh, two states? I think the, the the key memories for those spots were like the first big wind farms that I had ever seen, which is like, you know, old news to you, but just fields and fields. And, and you know, when we, when we stopped that first night just on the Minnesota border, it was like a crossroads and it was like a bank and a store and a gas station and all the things like in one like little mini mart. So just kind of seeing like how, how people live out there. Deer nonstop. Some of the, I think jokingly thinking about the bugs, I think there were more bugs per capita in those farm fields that we were riding through (laughs) than anywhere on the trip. The bugs in Texas and Oklahoma were bigger, but there was more of them in the Dakotas. Yeah, and and uh, I think it was I think it was North Dakota when I first learned that there are open ranges and cows can wander into the street, and that happened because there there wasn't an open range, and I myself and John we were you know tag teaming through this one area and there were cows in the middle of the street and one walked right out in front of John, uh, and so I, I texted and then ended up. Pulling, pulling over and calling Vesta, let her know, like, hey, there's cows on the roads here. Please let the other riders know. Uh, and that was nice, too, that, uh, you know, they had that whole tech 
system to alert folks to issues or detours or whatever else. Was that in North Dakota? Um, yeah, I was in North Dakota. And they asked, is this an open range? And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> and it was really, there are places in this great United States where, you know, you have the little cow barriers where they won't cross the road where the little great things are. Cattle guards. Um, but then past that, they, they can just be wherever they want to be. And a lot of times that's in the road. But no, this was like they had broken out of their fence. And it was not an expectation, so the riders wouldn't have been prepared for it. And um, I think, so and I, then I, I, this is coming back to me, when we stopped, there was a place where, you know, everybody stopped, not at the same time, but they'd stop because the page ended, right? And I was flipping the page when yeah. you guys pulled up. And yeah. I stopped, and it was getting late, and it was dark, and then I'm, I walk back, and it's you guys. I'm like, oh, hey. And you were telling no, me hey, about yeah. that. That's right, yeah. And the front of our bikes looked like they were covered in fur because of all the bugs. Covered. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think we just, we were, we were all feeling good enough and, and we're in the middle of nowhere. And then we, we took that right hand turn and we, I think we all decided at that point we would just ride until we find the next opportunity to really like bed down, like at a gas station or somewhere that, that seemed suitable because there were, there was no shoulder, there was no nothing. It was just fields where the page turned and we turned, took that right. And we kind of said, let's make it to the border, if I'm not mistaken. But I, it seems like we were just a little yeah. bit short. But we found that place. There was a few bikes yep. there. And we're like, you know what? Yep. This is as good as any. Right. And then uh, we had several others, you know, pop in behind us. And then some got up way earlier than us and, and took off before we even got up uh, after we slept our few hours that we did. And then the next day was all Minnesota. Yeah, I remember um, that morning, the, the second morning waking up. And I'm like, where the hell did all these bikes come from? There was tons of them. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember that? And I'm like, I didn't hear yeah. any of them pull in and I was just sleeping no. out. I think I was underneath my motorcycle cover that night. Used that as my rain guard. And I remember waking yeah. up and you, I think me putting my stuff away, woke you up probably. And yeah. it's yeah, teach, yeah, yeah. Is, teach is who you were riding with, right? Right. Yeah. And you were going to wait for him. So tell us, Minnesota, Minnesota, there's a lot to see here. And I don't know if you noticed this on your tracker. I think the most miles of the whole trip in Minnesota. That's what I was just going to say. When we got our spreadsheet, Minnesota had the most miles of the entire ride. So what were your thoughts? What do you remember from Minnesota? Some of the first getting lost happened in Minnesota. I I know we we kissed the border of Canada because my cell phone pinged and it sent me a text message and said, welcome to Canada. I'm like, oh God, am I in Canada? No, no, no. We didn't didn't see a sign. I didn't see a, (laughs) a Mountie. No one like, check my ID. Like, um, but no, I think we, we just hugged the border and like the, the cell phone tower like pinged it because we're that close. And uh, it was my first time seeing a great lake ever. And I knew like I heard how big they are. It's like an ocean. But, uh, and there wasn't much for tides out there, but I understand they can have tides. And I've since watched some documentaries about the great lakes and learned about some of the ice flows that can like creep up from the shore and just crazy stuff that they do. But yeah, so Lake Superior was gorgeous. And the, uh, some of the roads you'll have up there are just majestic. The twisties on the, I don't know what that highway was where we were approaching Lake Superior and then just kind of crested the hill and it was all right there beneath us. But that was a great road. I think that's where you passed us and got your first real leg up on us in the journey because we were going down a, a pretty large highway, like a, a pretty good four laner. And we missed one of the road signs. Yeah. I think that you missed the turn. cut left Yep, and missed a turn. 
And we went probably a good 25 miles out of the way before we realized that we were catching up to a road that we would meet later in the journey because we looked down the page and we saw the highway. I'm like, but where's all these other roads between here and there? We're not supposed to intersect this road now. So we had to do some some head scratching and backtracking. And then and then we got caught in a nasty rainstorm that slowed us down even further, which I think you missed. Oh, that um, was that's right. Northern Minnesota. I got through there was a detour there also. Do you remember that? Or were you yeah, in the rain yeah. before that? But I got to the detour right before the rain and I was into the detour when it started raining. So I kind of got through that was one thing for that was whatever reason on the I caught that rain too. <laughs> What's that? I said that that was a different rainstorm, but I caught that rain as well. Yeah, but that I for whatever reason the pace I was running, I was right at the beginning of every rainstorm. And yeah, you guys got that was a good one too. That was a lot. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of rain in that one. Yeah. So the first one we it was a lot of heavy rain, and then we and then it, it cleared, and we got to Lake Superior, and then we had a clear shot down Lake Superior. And that down the coastline, which was awesome, right into whatever that major city was. And then we took that right-hand turn away from the lake and back towards the heartland of the state. And we got hit again. And that time we got hit with rain and hail. <laughs> yeah, see, and that's the first time I got the rain was a couple hours in back inland. I didn't get it on yeah. the north side. So I think, I think we might have just hit the same storm twice and it just intensifies around two. And said, we're not done yet. <laughs> And then uh, John and I ended up splitting with that detour. And he's like, the road points it this way. I'm like, but the other road keeps going this way. And we decided that I was going to go the main route. And we split up there. And John and someone else was with John, too. I think it, his last name was Brown as well. He was also on an, an Indian, I think, chieftain. I'm trying to remember his rider number. But um, they continued going straight. And I, I, I again phoned Beth because I'm like, this is my one-time shot. I'm going to make sure that I'm on the right road. And, and she came back and said, oh, yeah, you can take either way. So I called John uh, Teach, and I said, Teach, you can uh, continue on. And he's like, well, I'll go up to this point, and then I'll meet you there. And I said, great, cool. So I, I continued blasting around the long way to the detour, and I ended up finding three other riders that were stopped in the middle of the road and didn't know where to go, and they were easily lost. So I, I kind of felt like that was another little God moment going, I was supposed to find these guys and show them how to get to where I was rendezvousing with the others. So I ended up showing up with a pack of four of us, four or five. I think, yeah, it was four of them and myself. And they were riding behind me. And uh, we, we catch Teach and the other guy and uh, continue on our way. But I was like, hey, yeah, look, I found friends. <laughs> and we continued on that journey. We almost made, we didn't make it quite out of Minnesota that night. I think we were really close to the border because day three was, all the other heartlands, like in and out of Iowa, back in North Dakota for a smidge, down through through the that eastern edge of Kansas, and then on to our first stop, which was Olathe, yep. or Olathe, or however you want to pronounce it. Olathe. So yeah, we left Olathe. Minnesota. I think we left Minnesota to the west, hit South Dakota, went south, and then went back into Iowa. I don't remember if we hit Minnesota yeah. again or Iowa, and then we touched Nebraska, and then... Yep. Ended up down in Kansas. I don't think we hit Missouri, but I can't remember. Uh, we were in I, we were in Missouri for a smidge because that was a detour. Because I remember I called my brother-in-law who works at William Jewell, which is a small college outside of Kansas City. 
and he's uh, works with their their football program there. So yeah, go Cardinals. But uh, we'll shout out there. But I said, hey, I'm heading your direction. Oh, never mind, I'm turning. Because <laughs> um, so we were in Missouri for just a moment before we went over the the river to the other side, and then we had that detour where there were some there were some uh, unimproved gravel roads um, that kind of got us around and past some construction, and then down to a lake. And we, we got to pass, oh, God, the our, our big uh, Army um, military prison there, uh, Leavenworth. Yeah, went through Leavenworth. And so I got to see that. And that was spooky, like big federal you know, military prison where all those folks go. Um, and then on to, we made it to um, the dealership that night. You were ahead of us at this point by, by a fair bit. And we still had some time left, so we decided to get on the road. And we made it probably an hour or so outside of the dealership where we bedded down. And that night we stayed at a Dollar General parking lot across the street from a gas station okay. in front of their dumpster. And so that, that kind of worked out for us. And I, I, I felt good about it because we we're away from the pack. We weren't going to be disturbed by all the other bikes coming in and out of the estate of the dealership. And we we're out of the city. So that, that made me feel a little good. Day the next three. No, that would, then it would be day four, wouldn't it? Was day four, Kansas. Yeah. I think we touched through Oklahoma, Texas, and then did you make it all the yeah, way into New went Mexico? Through the, went through the Panhandle, yeah. Um, went through, I can officially say I got the, the heck out of Dodge because we went through Dodge City, and, and that was cool. I got a blanket from, from Dodge at one of the, the truck stops. So I got a little, like, woven blanket that you see on all the, like, <laughs> cholo bikes out there oh, that yeah. are, like, little bedrolls. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but... Did that, continued on through Texas. And in Texas, we ended up running, we, we stopped at a gas station. I can't remember what town it was in. I, I wish I could give them a shout out. But they pulled up next to us and we were coming out. And they started questioning us and like, you know, hey, like, what's going on? What's you up to? And I, I, you know, I was polite because, you know, I'm in, you know, being in the military and you, any, any first responders and I was a ER nurse. And so I always talk to police officers when I see them and motorbike cops and that. I mentioned what we were doing and showed them like the logos on our bike. And we're like, oh, yeah, we, we had a friend that did that back uh, two years ago. We had some more conversation. They said, well, well where are you headed? And so we told them the general direction. They're like, oh, well, we're, we just got off a funeral detail, but we're uh, on our way back that direction. Y- are you ready to go? Uh, yeah, yeah, we're ready to go. And he said, well, come on. And they, they hopped in their bike. And we ended up having like a legit police escort for like, uh, I don't know. And, 30 minute hour long ride um, awesome. across some of those Texas highways. Um, and they were, they were showing off. They were riding like an inch off one another's handlebars and super tight. Um, these, these two motor cops. It was like, it was like the, the quintessential couple of like the old senior ride captain and like the rookie, but definitely <laughs> caught some great video on my little GoPro camera from behind them watching uh, <laughs> them. And uh, you know, when they pulled off to their station, they, they waved us on and, but yeah, we were we were moving with them, and uh, we definitely passed some cops going the other way and just waved and kept going. You know, <laughs> so that was cool. That's fine. Yeah, so from there we uh, we got into New Mexico and and got to see our friends there at the uh, the the dealership right there inside New Mexico that for Harley that uh, went belly up with the pandemic, and our our uh, friends from the ride that weren't riding it were there, but they they worked there. They were from there. It was. The, the Harley dealership in Clovis, New Mexico, just right across the border. And that's where some of the former riders had a, a water stop um, and food and refreshments. 
and the the lady there, God bless, and and she's probably going to listen to this podcast. Like, dude, you you forgot my name, and I'm having a brain fart right now. But um, we were at that point, you know, we had ridden, you know, quite a ways and through a lot of Texas heat and other heat and whatever. And she had in her bag because I was talking about the the chafing that happens okay. during the saddle for that long. And she shared with me she had a bottle of like a, a bottle of powder, like a monkey butt powder. <laughs> And uh, shared that with me, and I was like, I, "Can I give you some money for it?" No, no, just just keep it. it. It's yours. Use it, please. And so that was that was really nice. And so uh, I now uh, testified to having some some sort of body powder or foot powder or monkey butt powder, or whatever, to help keep your parts dry when you're you're sweating and riding in the <laughs> in whatever heat that you're riding in. And the uh, rain probably wasn't lot. helping you either. No, 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 no. So the the back and forth between the rain and the heat. Yeah, so I, I made that part of my morning regimen of getting up and giving myself a dusting and all the important bits <laughs> and getting ready to start the day. So that was a that was a, a good pro tip. So much obliged to that. Um, did you did you spend the night there then, or did you carry on? No, we carried on there. We stayed just outside of what's the next next big city there, right near where area? Not not area fifty one. Um, What's the Roswell. Roswell. Roswell? God, yeah, Alien, yeah, Roswell, New Mexico. Okay. Um, we we stayed at that was actually one of my best nights of sleep. Stayed at a truck stop just outside of Roswell, and uh, both Peach and I, being from the East Coast and used being used to um, having trees at our disposal, we both also carried hammocks, and so we were able to use the trees and the the rest stop like picnic shelters or whatever, and set up hammocks and had a good night's rest there, which. The funny thing is that the following night, I wanted to use my hammock again, and that's when we got to the town in Arizona, just outside the big army depot, and you had gotten all the way almost to the uh, California border. And there's lots of things to talk about between there and where we stopped that night. Yeah, there's a but, lot. Uh, but there's, I think you're missing a night or two between there. Oh, maybe so. Yeah. Well, anyways, that, that one stop, just to talk about the other hammock experience. We ended up being after the day of riding and all the, the crazy gusts, and we still had a lot of crazy gusts. And I definitely woke up in the hammock sideways, and I said, "Oh, I'm just gonna get out of this and uh, lay on the ground." But yeah, no, that must have been that must have been in Nevada. Yeah, so back backtracking to Roswell, get up, we go through Roswell. I got to meet up with a friend of mine who is from that area. She's part of one of the tribal nations out there, and was with me in the South Carolina Army National Guard. Uh, we got to meet up. She had moved back to her home and had a, a quick quick connect out there which is cool and her name is Jazzy Tito or Hasido is, is her last name and then continued on up and through Hatch uh, which was really cool to see all the chili fields and smell the smells out there and pass a lot of those uh, native reservations and I mean we, we had we went through Resland everywhere but seeing some of those old dwellings through there and like in the cliffs was really cool. And some of the old towns that still feel like really untouched by time. That was pretty impressive to see up and over the mountains heading towards Arizona. We caught another nasty thunderstorm with, uh, we got, we, we saw it as we were approaching getting out of those, those hatched chili fields. And we, when we started to cross the mountains and we get to basically our first peak and the bottom just fell out on us. I think you're well ahead of this too. I don't know if you got any of that weather either. Um, I kind of came, uh, if I remember correctly, like the night before, I, th- I think I 
tried to just outrun this. I stopped for the storm because I had to fix my bike. And then yeah. that put me like right in line to go through the the hole of not terrible storm that you guys hit. So I hit that one right at the beginning also. But I think, uh, yeah, it was, I don't remember. It's crazy because looking at the map, I don't remember a lot of these roads. Yeah. Let me see. Yeah, that's a good idea. I should pull up the map and look at that. This was a day sure. that uh, I was really tired, so I can see where I missed missed the turn, and that cost me, I don't know, probably pretty close to an hour. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah there was a there was an option. Well, there's a detour, but it was only for a certain window of time. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that until I was beyond the turn, and I noticed only good for whatever day, Tuesday or something. Yeah. Yeah. We were there, yeah, sim- a similar time frame, and that was also when Peach's front wheel was really starting to dimple and like pit and spoon out on that one side of the tire. And we knew that the detour happened, and then they were going to send you down the the interstate to kind of bypass those roads. And at that point, I reached out. Uh, we reached out to Beth again and said, "Hey, this tire is really messed up, and there's really nothing between here and there." I would love to get him to the dealership safely. And she's like, yeah, that's fine. Just stay on one of the routes. Perfectly fine. Keep going. And, and I, you know, I, I appreciated that too. And the, the ability for, for them to be flexible while still like maintaining the, the rules of, of the event as, as best they could. I was trying to find that map again to make sure I was not missing anything with details. Another part of just running through that part of Arizona going through the I think that's where Sedona is and uh, the big saguaro saguaro cacti seeing those for the first time were in, were on firing and just kind of that a desolate desert out there and that was well before we got into Nevada and the Great Basin later on in the trip but some of those first desert scenes with those classic cacti that you are used to seeing in, in films and, and whatever like that yeah. was pretty cool to, to ride through that, that whole area. And then from there, it was, wow, okay, so I, I missed even talking about backtracking even further. We crossed from New Mexico across that mountain range into Arizona, and that's where that Devil's Highway ride is. And then through the through that whole mine at the bottom of it, we didn't talk about that either. Did you do that in the uh, daylight or the dark? I did it in the daylight, um, okay. which was just in, insanely gorgeous and awe-inspiring when we first crossed into arizona and we're there right there was like a little general store right there on the apache res land and then we we went off down the highway which is used to be called the devil's highway used to be highway 666 but it's what 191 now they changed the name of it but just gorgeous through there and like along all of those switchbacks no guardrails just incredible views and places where you can pop off and then along the, the ridge lines there until you drop out into this massive mine, which I, I'd seen some mines before, um, but nothing of that scale. I mean, like we're talking stories upon stories deep into the earth and uh, you, you're seeing like trucks that look like matchbox cars or even smaller, maybe the micro mini from back in the day when I was a kid down beneath you and you're like, just the expanse of, of, the earth movement that was happening that by human hands was just kind of wild to fathom. The crazy um, part of about that mine is it went on for miles. Miles. And we were going yeah. downhill the whole time. Yeah. And they had like 
bridges covering other overpasses and like like uh, this whole network of roads in the mine and massive um, dump that, trucks that, on the bridges as ma- you'd ride under them. Right. I mean, and these aren't dump trucks that that are you see on the roadways. They're like super sized, like monster truck rally sized dump trucks or bigger <laughs> that are just hard to fathom. That you you know your your car. Our standard sedan may be as big as one of its tires. It feels like you know. It's it's they were the dump trucks where you'd see people standing next to the tires, and the tires are yeah, taller yeah, than the people. Taller than those. Yeah. A lot of that, and, and you follow and, that all the way down to the bottom, and it literally comes out like you're the water in a dam, right into this little city. Yeah, yeah and there's a little city there, and and there's like some serious like estates out there, and then there's like everybody else. Just like the the, the blue collar, you can, you know, I mean, kind of wild the disparity of the, the types of folks that live out there to, I guess, to support the whole mining community. It's kind of like uh, West Virginia on steroids. It seems like as far as what you imagine in your brain, and I can't say that from from personal experience, but you hear about the, the mining communities that surround coal mines in, in West Virginia, and I, I imagine this is very similar to that. But just the the, the depth and size just was was surreal. The next. That night is when we got to the bottom of uh, Arizona and uh, the border, and then we we cut back up and we we had to stop again for the night. And that's that's when Peach and I ended up under the uh, the in the baseball dugout, <laughs> which we eventually got uh, booted out of prematurely. Yeah, tell that story. And, uh, yeah, so we had a you know rolling thunderstorm coming up. It was it was already dark by this time. By the time we got to that border of Arizona and Mexico and we were looking on our map and, and each in his brilliance saw a community college listed on the map and it was right off the highway and he and he looked at it and he's like I bet they may have somewhere we could stay so we we ride a couple miles down the road and find this the school it's like a technical college so a lot of outdoor buildings and whatever a lot of light right so like a lot of high visibility and, you know, like in today's day and age with schools, you have to think about security and there's just a lot more heightened awareness around that. And typically there's security guards, but didn't see anybody. They're like, okay, maybe the coast is clear. And then he saw this, this baseball field and through like the dugout. It's sheltered. It's dark. It should be, you know, we can pull our bikes behind the dugout to kind of like out of sight, out of mind. This will be perfect. So we get in there, we bed down. I'd say we're asleep maybe two hours and we get this, this big knock on the sidewall of the dugout and and it's uh, these two security guards going, all right, gentlemen, you're not in trouble, but you can't stay here. And I was like, Oh, we're you. And you know, the next words are you're, you're currently trespassing. And uh, we, we then start, you know, groveling. We're like, Hey, you know, we, we know at this point and another part of the, the Hoka challenge, if you get a ticket, if you get a citation of any kind, and we're thinking, Oh man, that we're going to catch a charge for trespassing. We're going to be in real trouble and we may, we may have to stop the ride because once you have something like that, you're right in. You don't get to continue going. But thankfully they were, they were kind gentlemen, talked to us and, and then they began to roll over all the different snakes out there, the different types of rattlesnakes, the different types of spiders and all the things that wanted to kill us. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's, that's all good to know. And so right. they said, well, make sure you check, make sure you check your boots, make sure you check all your stuff. Don't put your hand in anywhere blind because you don't know what crawled in there with you, when you while you were snoozing. So 
it was kind of a blessing and a curse. One, we got back on the road again quicker and were able to make up some time because at that point we were wide awake. I suppose. But at the same time, we were like, man, I could really use a couple more hours of sleep. They uh, mentioned uh, checking out Fort Huachuca if we wanted to because that was close by to that general area. But at that point, we were we were awake. And we're like, no, we're just we're going to keep hiding. And uh, and by the end of the day, that day, that's when we got to catch up with you in Zion. And I, I think that's, that's that's where I took the selfie of you passed out in the Zion chair while you're getting your your bike tuned up and uh, service or whatever. Yeah, I had to. Uh, <laughs> I had to replace a tire. I wore through a oh, back oh. tire, and the only oh, thing I can okay. think of is the heat because yeah. I just went right. I mean, went through that tire, and it was five thousand miles, and yeah. Yeah, that's where you caught up to me. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and that that dealership was awesome for me too because um, I was at five thousand miles as well, and uh, I called them two days prior. I think I was just outside of Clovis, that we mentioned earlier, and uh, I said, "Hey, I'm coming in hot. The closest Indian dealer to you is like three hundred miles away because their dealer network is smaller than Harley's, and uh, all of our sponsorships were Harley dealerships." But I said. If if I came through there, would you be able to change the oil? And they were like, actually, we, we've got a guy that used to work with Indians. Um, let me make sure I've got your parts. And so they were able to look up and then order the right oil filter for me. And they had a guy on staff that they had there that was able to change and service my bike. So huge props and uh, shout out to, to Zion for connecting an Indian heretic. <laughs> yeah, they were great. With, uh, with the service so yeah yeah thank big thanks to them and and then we were able to have dinner together and, and that was the the one kind of bird bath that i had because one of the uh the family members there had showed up with a trailer and they had a, a hose and a spigot out behind their uh little rv yep so that was that was my one like kind of bath during the event and i was it there was i think early enough but the dealership was closing I think we're, when oh, you got okay. there, wasn't the dealership closed or was the dealership yeah. still open? No, dealership was closed. The service okay. department was still actively taking care of folks. But I got in and got yeah. to use the restroom for my uh, oh, personal nice. sanitary needs, which was <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah, they were great. And I've talked to them since. And all those stickers that we stuck on that pole in their service department, they're still there. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's very cool. But speaking of, like, that's something else I learned about, too. I don't have a sticker. I've, I've been talking to folks like I need to get with a graphic artist or somebody and come up with something really cool that's unique to, to me and writing and, and whatever else to start slapping on things. Yeah. All the cool kids have stickers, scrubs. Yours would be yeah, easy yeah. to do too. That's funny. Yeah. yeah so we, we'll, we'll that night, that night we got together and we, I think we were probably mostly just messing with each other mentally. It's like, you're going to keep going. Yeah. I'm out of here as soon as, as soon as my bike's done. And then yeah, we yeah, both, yeah. we were both were like posturing like that. And then it's like, you know what? There's a restaurant right over there. We should just go eat supper and relax. That seems like a good idea. And we did. Right. And that was hilarious because then we did. And I'm like, I'm going to go put my bike right over there because that's where I'm going to sleep tonight. You're like, ah, that's a good idea. And then you pulled yeah, your yeah. bike over in the same area. And uh, we slept yep. right outside the Harley dealership out in the lot or in the entry. Like, yeah, right, right at the main into entrance. The, into the door. And uh, yeah. yeah, that morning I got up, you were still sleeping and I took off and I made it like two bo- two blocks and I'm like, hey, a gas station, I should fill up. I went to turn around, yeah. drop my bike right in the middle of the street. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that, that takes us to uh, dropping bikes, uh, my story of dropping mine. Well, that's this uh, comes a little bit later, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it does. Yeah, we were we were in in Nevada when I dropped mine. Let's say yeah, um, we kind of you know leapfrogged again for a little bit, and then uh, or was it? No, it was the next day. I dropped my bike. This is the same day. I dropped mine, picked it up, got going, and I stopped for coffee every morning. I stopped for coffee. Yeah, at the gas station, I got coffee, and you guys pulled up, you and Teach, and you're like, "I'm out of here." I'm like, "All right, well, we'll see you down the road." And, yeah, uh, you know, I'll I'll try to catch you, kind of thing. And yeah, yeah. And Teach is like, "Did he take off?" I said, "Yeah, he's yeah, he's gone. You know, no big deal, whatever." And yeah. it was probably three or four hours later. I went by, and your bike was sitting at the gas station, but yet you hadn't had your experience yet. So tell us that. Yeah. So that was. That was wild. Uh, we that that whole day was one just gorgeous, incredible ride. We uh, saw some just gorgeous red rock formations. We were out across the desert, going through ten storms and battering all the the. I don't know how how bad you had it, but I had some serious crosswinds while while we were crossing the Great Basin, which was just gorgeous. And and you would think he'd be done with it, but the Hokanay, I, I think he said when he had talked to Beth or somebody, someone had said, I hope you like deserts or, or something like that. I hope, I hope you're okay with riding through deserts because they, they took us and, and we ended up zigzagging across it. So you'd think you were off and like through that, that stretch and then they cut you back and then back up, back across again. And so we were in deserts a lot that day. But anyway, so we, we get to one of the gas stops and this was uh, in Eli, Nevada, the infamous Eli for me now. <laughs> Stop at a love gas station. Get my gas, go inside, drive by to eat, come out, reapply sunscreen, getting all my things scored away, and see where the riders pull up. And one goes on in the store, and I'm chatting there with the other one for a moment. And I said, "All right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get ready and, and get going." So I hop on the bike and I do all my my my, my pre checks and make sure I'm ready to go. And I hit my ignition, and my alarm starts going off on my bike. And I don't I don't know about well, a lot of bikes don't have them, but my bike has a key fob. It doesn't have a, a like an actual key switch. And for whatever reason, the sensor didn't recognize my key fob and uh, alerted me to the fact that someone was stealing my bike. Well, it was me, the owner. <laughs> and I knew exactly where my key was. It was in my right-hand corner pocket of my little Klein jacket that I was wearing. And I'd already flipped up my kickstand and you know hit the ignition and so and kind of like the dumbfoundment and being completely thrown off by why is my alarm going off i stand up and i reach a little extra far and kind of up into the left to reach into that right pocket just to kind of give me the right angle because i'm in gloves and full face helmet and i can't see below your nose you know because the full face and i just leaned a little smidge too far <laughs> and so when i did that i was up on the tippy toe the the primary case on the left side of my bike caught my heel and my foot tried to become the kickstand and my foot I found is a lot less strong <laughs> than the actual bike kickstand and I uh, heard some cracks and uh, I went ahead and just gracefully let my bike on down trimmed out of the way thankfully I didn't cascade and, and hit the other two bikes next to me parked um, it was just me and my humility uh, that, that was able to go down together, but in the process, definitely broke a couple bones uh, right there in, in the, the ball of your foot. So, like, if you're looking at your big toe, a couple toes down, the third and fourth toe, I broke basically the ends off of them. They just kind of snapped. Oh, 
I felt it. I knew it had happened being in healthcare. And, and then I, I called my wife a little ways down the road and we talked about it. And I said, Hey, so probably broke this bone, these uh, couple bones in my foot. Maybe I can, I, I feel a difference. I heard the sound, <laughs> but if I went to the ER, what would happen? One, they would take pictures of it. They would tell me it's broken and they'd put me in a boot because they're, they're not going to do surgery on that. So, right. well, I have, I have a heel shifter on my bike. I can shift up with my big toe and I can shift down with my heel. And I don't have to touch it really. And I'm already in a boot. So let's go. And kept riding. And then uh, as the days progressed, we, we kept an eyeball on it and it got bigger and more swollen and purple. And I eventually got x-rays in Detroit on the way home. We stopped and there was a, a big VA hospital there. On, on the, that was like our first night on the road back home to mm-hmm. South Carolina after the ride. So, I mean, a good week later. And uh, they, they took pictures of it and gave me a little flat orthopedic soft shoe, and which I wore for like that couple of days. So I got home and then I ordered myself like a, like a full um, orthopedic boot because the, the shoe wasn't super great for me. And I was still an ear nurse, so I was working and had to run around and take care of patients. And so the little flat shoe, I was hobbling around a little bit like, um, like Igor. And I was like, oh, this, is, this isn't going to work. But we made it work, you know, and yeah. um, kept going. And got over the, the challenge and trial of that. But that, yeah, that day, that slowed me down a bit because I, I just had to kind of really take a moment to reset and think about things and make sure that I was making the right decision to continue forward and talk to the wife and get her perspective on it because she's the one that works in orthopedics and she agreed with me. And so, yeah, you're out there. You're halfway done. You can't quit now. <laughs> <laughs> so Especially if all they're going to do is take you know? pictures and put you in a boot. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I just kept taking pictures of it and sending like, here's the damage now. <laughs> so we get to laugh about it now. After the fact, too, we, you know, we were immediately upon coming home, we were moving and moving to Greenville to where we live now. And so in short succession, I'd come home after breaking my foot. And then I got exposed to COVID by a patient I was taking care of that was having psychiatric issues. And so she was uh, laughing at me saying, you're doing absolutely everything you can to not help move. <laughs> right. But so uh, back to the ride, though, dealt with the drop. And then we continued on and across northern California and, and, and Oregon. Before, I mean, before we got through there more in Arizona, we, we went through and like up the hills and onto Jerome, which was incredible i i had no idea about that city and just that the sheer cliff drop off that was an incredible site that i, I want to go back to i'd never been to the grand canyon so we went through there and then i got to stop uh, by one of the bridges along the way you went through the grand uh, canyon yeah like there was uh there was just one section of it by one of the bridges that we we went over and i was able to stop and take a photo with at one of the, the bridges right there huh i don't remember that <laughs> I, I think that was uh that was I, you know, we're, we're getting a little scrambled now but um that was just i think that was the day before i got we got to zion i think you must have passed it yeah yeah i, I realize now like the, the jerome and all that that was right before zion yeah that was um, coming up through so, arizona yeah so on the rest of the way other first included for me going through the tahoe area and and Tahoe and 
And then the, the rest of that weekend, we were in Fourth of July weekend, and I don't know how traffic was for you, but I got we got hemmed up in a lot of traffic, particularly July Fourth. Yeah. But made the made the most out of it. We went through, like I said, through Tahoe, and then when we got to California, like the those that hill country that we went through through Northern California was gorgeous. We got to and stayed just outside of Crater Lake that next night, um, which. Teach and I went off and actually went up to the crater, which still had snow on it in you know mid June or no uh, early July at this point. So we started July fourth at Crater Lake, seeing that, and then riding down to the coast and then up the the one hundred and one, and that two hundred fifty mile stretch, which was just packed with people because everybody wanted to be out there that day for the holiday, and then took some time to go run up a sand dune and, and see the, the massive dunes in the Pacific Ocean, which was the first. And I, you know, I talk a lot about smells with the, the bike stuff. I was able to smell a smell that I wasn't planning on. We were riding along the coastline and started smelling like these kind of a, a sweet smell. I'm like, what do, I, what do I know that smell from? And we, we didn't come across a sign that was like the world's largest sea lion cave. And I'm like, that's the smell from like the aquariums or the zoos where the seals oh, are yeah. kept. like that's yep. that's actually their smell. That's not like a artificial whatever kind of. <laughs> that's that's really like just probably sea lion poo or whatever that is. But that was that was wild to, to experience. I wish we could have had time to stop and like go down and like see the seals. That would have been cool. On around and through, yeah. Then uh, the rest of Oregon and then Washington back down through Idaho, uh, through Garden Valley and through some of the, that was some of the most gorgeous riding. Idaho is some of the most unexpectedly gorgeous roads of that direction. I think I've shared that with several folks. Like if, if I could go ride a road again, I think I would go, go back and explore more of Idaho, which is wild. I don't know. Do you have a, a, a favorite spot you were on? Well, I'm just thinking of that whole area, like running up the, the PCH. I did most of that in the dark. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was, I hit, like my goal was to make the coast by sunset so I could see it. And yeah. I probably missed it by, you know, 15 minutes. Uh, you know, I was right off. Yeah. I was riding pretty hard because then I knew that would have been the third. And then I knew the 4th of July was going to be just a traffic nightmare. And so I wanted yeah. to run as much of that as I could. Well, I stopped for gas in this little town. I can't remember what town. I could go back in my tracker because I can look at. July 4th and it'll show me, but, uh, yeah. um, a buddy of mine popped in and, and caught me at the gas station and, uh, we were hours from his place. He lives up in Portland. He goes, yeah, you're not coming this close without me riding with you for a little bit. And I went, what really sweet. Yeah. And, uh, cool. yeah. So he met up with me at the gas station and we ran for uh, a few hours. I mean, it was probably one thirty in the morning Yeah. and I'm just, I, you know, I was, I was really tired, way too tired to have been riding, but I didn't want him to show up and then not ride with him. So I finally found it was, it was probably a dollar general, but it was that type of a building. And I, I pulled in and I'm like, man, I, I really appreciate you coming to ride. And I just, I just can't keep going. I'm, I'm starting to fall yeah. asleep. And he's like, no, I get it. I get it. So pulled over and, and slept literally in a rock bed in front of this, like I say, dollar general type store. I don't think it was a dollar general, but it was that type of building and layout in the front of it. And, uh, laid down in the rock bed, must've dropped my phone. Cause I cracked the screen protector. I, that's, I remember that specifically. And then getting up the next day, that road you're talking about running through Washington. Yeah. That was the weirdest thing. 
we crossed that little toll bridge and then it was yeah. literally running along that river the entire way. And I don't, what was the it? entire way, right? 180 miles or something. The hood river, literally yeah. just following that thing. And then we yeah. and took then, a right and you across the bridge. And across yeah. And then it was down from there through that, yeah. that I don't remember where this was. I was coming down a mountain, uh, a mountain like road and I was riding pretty hard and all of a sudden the traffic ahead of me was stopped. Hmm. I'm like, Oh, that's weird. So I get stopped and there's five or six cars sitting there ahead of me, I think. And I get off and I'm like, Oh, Hey, that doesn't look right. There's a Toyota truck on its side in the middle of the road. Oh, and I'm like, huh, well, that's weird. No first responders, nothing yet. Um, they literally rolled up the other side as I was getting off my bike and there was wow. another car that I didn't see that was down in the ditch on the other side. It was, a, it was a terrible accident, but anyway, it shut the road down. And I remember talking with some of the people and I'm like, well, this is going to be a while. And the one, the one guy was a fireman. He goes, yeah, this is going to be a while. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to lay down right next to my bike and fall asleep. If traffic moves, can you just come kick me or something? So I get up. <laughs> He's like, yeah. seriously? I'm like, yep. And I took a picture. I laid down. And I'm like, oh, this is funny. I took a picture of the side of my bike as I was laying there and fell asleep, like immediately fell asleep, which I wow. can do, by the way. I can literally lay down in the sidewalk and fall asleep. Huge yeah. advantage when you're trying to do the hokey, I found out. For sure. Um, I slept for a while and there was no phone service, which I didn't like at all because now my tracker stopped, my phone stopped, and the Apple AirTag has stopped. So now if anybody wants to get a hold of me, they can't. And I have not let anybody know that I'm okay. So I'm like, wow. oh, this yeah. is this is a major violation. I don't like this at all. Um, yeah. So I, at one point I realized that. I woke up and uh, like trying and trying and trying to get a cell, you know, enough cell signal somewhere, walking up and down the road, trying to just, hey, I'm okay. There's a car accident. I'm not involved, you know, but right. the road's closed kind of thing. And they told us where we were going and – I know you're friends with Paco, but he talked about this road on TikTok that, and I know you'll remember it because it was completely unmarked, the road. There was no lines yeah. painted, nothing. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I told this, some of these people in this, in this crash seat and I'm like, well, yeah, they're like, where are you going? And just like everybody, oh, you got to go this way. No, I have to go this way. They're like, oh, you're going, yeah. I think it was Hell's Canyon. That's what it was. Hell's Pass or Hell's Canyon. And they're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, you're going to go there today? Mm-hmm. I said, well, that's the plan. Yeah. Like, well, you yeah. don't want to go through there after dark. I said, why? <laughs> right. Why? Well, because the roads, you know, it's really rough. It's got a lot of potholes. The road's not painted and it's dark. There is no light out there at all. It's dark. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And, and then you talk to the next guy. He's like, oh, you don't want to go through there if it's dark. No, I would uh, stop in this town up here, you know, find a place to crash. Yeah. You know, enjoy it, relax, whatever. Well, then they clear right. it and I'm counting the miles. Cause on our route sheet, there's these miles, right? Yeah. I mean, you can, yeah. you know, and I'm like, okay, if I can average, you know, 60 miles an hour, it's going to take me this long and I will be in the heart of hell's Canyon should still be daylight. I think I'm good. Right. Right. That's all I was worried about. I didn't realize when you come out of hell's Canyon, you're following that little ravine or that, uh, mm. that river for, was it a hundred miles? I don't even know, but it was forever and it was pitch black and pitch black. Oh yeah. yeah. And I was so tired and I'm like, I am not stopping out here. 
<laughs> that, there's Mm-mm. no way. Mm-mm. And Mm-mm. Uh, riding, riding, riding. And I get to this where there's a bridge, like you cross this river, there was a dam. I don't know if you remember this, if you did it in the daylight, probably. Um, but there was a vehicle, probably. there was a one street light and there was a vehicle and a guy was sitting on the hood of his pickup there. Nothing else around. I'm like, well, ain't yeah. stopping there. <laughs> so I just yeah. kept yeah. going. Nope. And uh, I don't remember where I stayed, to be honest with you, but I remember watching fireworks as I came into like into the total darkness, there was fireworks going. And, and then I went, I don't know how it worked out, but I ended up somewhere far away and I saw the tail end of some fireworks. And I'm like, I stopped, got off the bike, watched the fireworks and then woke up a little bit. And then I was able to keep going. And I, geez, I have no idea where I slept after that, but I was tired. So I remember that section of that Washington, Oregon crossover area. And then I think that was back into Idaho actually. Or somewhere close to there. Yeah, that had to be close to Idaho because we we stopped. We were just on that road along the river to like heading towards Idaho in Washington, just a little way before we stopped. Like that was our Fourth of July was our shortest day because of how much traffic we hit along the 101 on that day. Which I I think that's really what separated a lot of the riders, like the that weekend traffic. Uh, whether you're in Tahoe or on the 101 or whatever, that really stretched out the pack through there based on, you know, where you were. Cause I know even some of the little bitty small towns were having their own like little shindig things and mini detours around this little bitty like blip of a uh, one red light town. I know there was a handful of those that I went through and yeah, definitely had some other sketchy spots for stopping. We, the last day, well, I guess before we, we get to there, we were we were really beat up that that next day. So the fifth, we I think we got into into Utah and where the Ute reservation was just past then, and, and where the uh, I think we're close to the Hoover Dam, maybe in my brain, but where the Valley of the Gods or some kind of other landmark out there, we were riding it with pitch black, and that's the that was the first time I ever came across an elk in person standing in the middle of the road as I came around a blind corner. And then I went around another corner and there was another elk in the middle of the road. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't get up on a place to stop. <laughs> kind of similar, just realizing that fatigue was really setting in. We, uh, we did pop by and I spent a little time at uh, Devil's Tower when we were there. And that was cool. And, and I think you were approaching the finish line at that point because you were about a, right at a day ahead of us. And between like just getting ahead of us in general and then some of our traffic issues and us also wanting to stop and doing a couple of tourist things because we obviously knew we weren't first and we were doing good on time and we didn't want to miss the opportunity of seeing some of those things. So we, we did make, you know, we, we rode a ride and made, made it what we wanted to. That's cool. Um, I figured it out where I but, was. I rode all the way to the dealership to the third checkpoint that night. I, oh, I, wow. I did okay. 19, just short of 20 hours on the bike that day. God. Yeah. So then yeah. where you're talking about devil's tower now to fast forward to there, that yeah. was the most amazing lightning storm I've ever seen Really, in a vehicle or in person. And I was riding through the center of it when I, and I got pictures Jesus going Christ. into it. I'm like, it's still daylight. I want to like, I want to see the pictures. Yeah. Here's where I'm headed going into this. Yeah. And, uh, I even got a hold of Renee. I said, okay, I'm about to go into this storm. I'll let you know when I come out the other side. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it, it went completely black. 
and it power washed all the bugs off the front of the bike. So I could actually see, <laughs> but I could only see about, it, it seemed like it was 40 feet in front of me and I was running on the fog line and I could, it was raining so hard. I could see the beams off all of my lights, the headlight, the passing lamps and the fog lamps in the rain. And yeah. I was just like, just chugging along. I think I was doing 35 or 40 miles an hour. I'm like, there's no point stopping. I yeah. might as well keep going. I just hope I don't, yeah. you know, find a car that's sitting here or not realize that the fog line went away and I was supposed to turn and now I'm in the ditch, but it worked out. Right. And it was dark like that for quite a while, but lightning. Oh, it was amazing. You know, you're, it's that's, a little scary in it, but when you're done with it, like, Oh yeah. man, that was so cool. But that would have been the devil's I mean, tower it's area. It's also kind of wild with just, just the history of devil's tower and like a lot of the, native origin stories around it. It's just that's kind of a wildly cool place to be in the middle of a lightning storm, as spooky as it also can be. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, the Great Plains can storms can roll up out of out of seemingly nowhere and quickly. Is, an, is another thing I learned. I, we ended up in one on the, you know, so after after Devil's Tower, we get pretty close to the starting line, and then they then they're like, oh no, you're, you're going to go through the Badlands first, and then up through Pine Ridge. And we caught a gnarly storm leaving, I don't know if that's actually Hot Springs, like the, the town proper where we went through, or or what town that was. I'm trying to think. Um, before you, you cut Keystone. out towards the Badlands, that road that had the, that, I don't know what was causing it, but it was like baby, like speed bump after speed bump. Are you talking about the one with the train tracks going across it? Maybe. Maybe there's train tracks. But there was there was one road, and we lost. We had several riders go down that got thrown off their bikes off this one road. That oh, was like I know, road. That's the road that goes out through the Badlands from Rapid City. Yeah, it goes yeah. straight out through the Badlands. Yeah, yeah. That thing was terrible. Terrible. I Crazy caught more road. air on the Harley than that should ever have in its entire life on that road. Right, right. Same. I definitely caught air multiple times, and we and and those were some big bikes to be catching air with, and I know. A couple of riders uh, got got totally tossed. I know Kinky out of Charlotte got tossed out there, and I think uh, we we came up on her bike because uh, she had gotten out in front of us, and we passed it, and she was already gone to the hospital. I think she broke her wrist. Thankfully, I think that's all she had going on, and that's where her ride ended. Just literally, is a less than a day's ride away from the finish line. That was so disheartening um, because I'm familiar with that area. We go through there, you know, we ride out there during the Sturgis Rally every chance we can. Yeah, so. I kind of knew the area I was coming into and then mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm almost done. So I pushed it a little harder because it was raining the night before. Yeah. Uh, it was raining the night before. So I'm like, okay, I'm almost there. I'm just going to ride a little bit longer. I'm going to try to get out of the rain. I'm going to try to find a dry place to stay. And I, yep. I didn't realize it, but I was not drinking water either. Cause I was, it was raining. So I wasn't stopping uh, I wasn't grabbing yeah. my water bottle. I was keeping, you know, I was busy riding. And you were uh, riding and you were at the end and you were excited. And I, yes. And I was almost at the finish. Well then that morning I get up and I'm heading in. I'm like, yes, I'm going to be there at a decent time. This is cool. All excited. And then it was like, why am I going through rapid city? Why am, why am I going East? What's happening? And I just like totally disheartening. <laughs> it yeah. sucked so yeah. bad. And I'm like, oh, we, we thought, we thought we were happening? there too. And then, yeah. Yeah. Well, then, Oh, and you know us, us doing the same kind of journey and like what you know like 24 hours after you but uh we get we get through there and then we, we catch more weather and then and then we're riding after after that crazy road to the badlands we're riding through pine ridge and 
doing Pine Ridge at midnight in the dark with nothing, nothing out there. It was spooky. And then the way the highway turned it, it made you do like a loop inside of it and then going past Wounded Knee twice. And so that got us turned around and we ended up wanting to crash when we got to this little area with a 24 hour gas station and across the street, there was a church. And I remember from several folks saying, always try to find a church because churches are, are good places and folks won't mess with you. Well, we get to the church and we're like, okay, we're across the street from the 24 hour gas station. There's, there's presence there, but like we should be kind of out of the way. And we start setting up our, our where we're going to bed down for the night. And this dude walks by with his hoodie up, hood on, and kind of paces us, walks by, and comes back to us and says, do you want to buy this boombox? And he, like, pulls the boombox out of his ass or, or something. I remember and you then, telling me this. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, dude, we're, we're good. I don't have a place for a boombox on a motorcycle, and it has speakers. And he's like, cool, no worries. And then he just evolves. We're like, that was the weirdest thing. He's coming back with friends. We're not going to wake up in the morning. Uh, we got to go. <laughs> so we ended up leaving there and riding more through the night until we got to another gas station. And and this was a, a weird time for me. So uh, when we were leaving Rapid City, I caught a piece of sand or grit or something in my eye. And throughout most of that night, I was loving it. And Teach had some eye drops that he gave me. I tried to put some in my eye, lay it out on the pavement, drop them in, and that wasn't getting any better. So I was riding like one-eyed through these super dark roads, no street lights, no nothing, middle of nowhere, trying to find these highways. And I don't know if it was just the the lights off his bike and my bike and just fatigue or whatever, but I I think I've had the closest now ever to a hallucination as I could ever imagine. Because I kept on seeing as we were riding, and I was in front for a lot of it. And then he, I ended up slowing down. He's like, Are you okay? I'm like, No, my eyes kind of weird. And he rode in front for a little while, but I would keep seeing this massive moon rising up on the horizon in front of us and like obscuring my vision and making me like kind of get off focus. And it was like the moon that you imagine in like a Pixar movie, like big and huge and taking up the whole sky as it just kind of creeps up at like rapid speed like up off the horizon it was the wildest thing ever and i don't know what that was about or what was going on there in my brain or between my ears but i knew at that point like i have got to bed down somewhere because i'm starting to see things that aren't there that's obviously not there the moon's over there i see it i see the real moon right maybe the moon is my spirit animal i don't know (laughs) spirit spirit orb but that was kind of wild. And we, we ended up getting to a, a, a truck stop on the far edge of the uh, reservation and ended up bedding down there next to it. And we got up the next morning and then we were able to take needles and the other ride leading up to the finish line in the morning hours and the sunrise with no traffic. And it was like a, a pretty graceful ride with some great curves. And, and you know that, that territory really well, if anybody ever gets a chance. And Go to Sturgis. I haven't been to the national uh, or to the to the rally yet. Who's Sturgis yet as for the rally? But just being there in that area, go when the rally's not going on and really enjoy it with limited bikes there. And then go when there's the rally. I'm still going to do that in the future too. Yeah, um, that's the advice but, I always uh, give. If you're going to go ride out there, don't go during the rally. If you're going to see the rally, yeah, go to yeah. the rally for sure. 
Yeah, and speaking of it, it sounds like there's going to be some mile monsters at the rally this year with a big ride that we both have signed up for. And that's exciting coming up. I don't know when you're riding, but I'm, I'm doing my iron butt on the 20th of May, which is my mom's birthday. I got special permission from her for a good cause. Nice. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'll make the rally. I know that there's a lot of folks that are going to try to be there for it. I'm a little further away than than a lot of people. Although that doesn't make a whole lot of sense after doing the Hoka Hay because my homes are all kind of relative now. So, right? right. And some of these things. But yeah, it's uh, it's been really good to kind of catch up and, and talk about our ways through this. And it was great, too, when we got to the finish line to see everybody there to be welcomed in. Um, I know you weren't there when I first rolled in, but you came in shortly after because you and Renee were grabbing breakfast. That was really cool. We were, yeah, we were watching the tracker, and that's where it got stuck on everybody. Oh, oh. Yeah. It got stuck as people were going up needles and coming back around. And we're like, yeah. oh, we got time. So we went to eat. I think I think that's what it was, actually. And then I was like, oh, my God, he's here. So then we just took off yeah. and got over there. <laughs> so let's talk about the finish. Yeah. Um, yes, like you said, I didn't make it back to see you come in. Your wife was there? Uh, wife was not there. She um, was not she there? She flew in later. So then give um, me she... give me your thoughts as you came rolling into the finish into hot springs found the finish line saw it crossed it talk about that whole experience i think that the first thing so teach and i pulled up to hot springs town like little downtown area proper and it it was basically a left-hand turn down this little strip past the river and then a right-hand turn over the bridge into the finish line and he led he was in front for a lot of the ride because he would take twisties and certain things at a faster rate than what I wanted to do, but we would always end up like near one another again and like stopping around the same places because we, we both were kind of in the mindset that it was better to, to have someone nearby in, in case something came up or there was you know a security issue or you know having a, a buddy out there to, to do the ride with, which a lot of folks do a solo and that's totally cool, but this is kind of what, what we ended up doing and we talked about splitting up and we split and came back, but anyway. So he kind of like flagged, like kind of waves me forward, like, go ahead. And I was like, okay. So I took the left-hand turn and then we were rolling and like, oh, there's the flag. Oh, this is it. Oh, we're finished. And I think it was just like this. We're, we, we drive through the flag, through the finish line. And I'm like, do I keep going? Do I stop? I, I don't know how to finish this. I don't. <laughs> am I ready to finish this? Same. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be done yet. But maybe, oh, God, it's good to be done. Like, it was just like the this intense flood of speechlessness and pro- profound joy and bittersweetness all at the same time that we, we've made it. Wow, that was an adventure. Oh, wow, it's got a lot of processing to do. Look, there's these other folks here, and they're cheering. And, like, I, I'm not first, but they're, but they're excited and welcoming us in. And that was super affirming. And a lot of those folks there, some of them I knew and some of them I didn't, but everyone came and gave you a hug. And it was one of the, the best hugs you've ever had, it felt like to me. And, and maybe that's because I'm an, ex, an extrovert a little bit more so than, than others. And I like good hugs. But it was uh, it was great. And then yet also on, on your brain is like, Okay, so there's all this processing, but my wife is also flying in. I've got to find out how to get to her or or how she's getting to me. Oh, sure. I need to get my hotel room squared away, which I ended up losing my reservation because they, they kind of 
I, I booked for three days and we missed one of those days and I called in advance and then we had four cell phone signals so I couldn't touch base back. So as opposed to just canceling the one night, they canceled my entire reservation. So when I got to my hotel after the fact, I didn't have a reservation at all. So then I had to scramble to find us a hotel, which thankfully I was able to just down the way from where I was because that place was totally booked out at that point. And, I, you know, I, I'm circling back and around all, all the logistical things in my brain because that's what I do is uh, I compartmentalize and I address the tasks at hand. But I, I need to get back to the the wildness and the the emotional presence of being present in the in the moment of, of finishing. and still just wild what we were able to complete and what we were able to do and make it. And then, I mean, also knowing that, you know, other folks didn't make it legitimately didn't make it. Yeah. We, we, we lost two riders. We had a third paralyzed and he was really touching though. We thought we were going to lose three. to you know, fatalities and, uh, Riot had his accident. Uh, Kinky had her accident. There are multiple other accidents that weren't fatal, but like the weight of all of that, like we just did the same thing they did and they had those, those things happen. It's just, it's heavy. It's really heavy. You almost and like, I don't want to, I, I keep on having to relate things back to military service, but there's some level of like kind of survivor's guilt in that, that, wow we made it but these folks didn't and you you what you just want to be loving and affirming of everybody and the journey that they took and their what they learned from it and their ride and their experience and lift up those who didn't make it to say that's okay you rode your thing you learned what you learned and now now you have the here's the bootstraps to pick yourself up if you want to do this again and continue to celebrate everyone and i think that's it it really is the end of the road celebration and it didn't matter who you were. There were people there that Hopper came back and he was disqualified day one for a speeding ticket. Mm-hmm. People were there to celebrate and everyone was celebrated for the experience they had. And there was that just profound thankfulness for being there and being a part of it and raising funds for whoever you raise funds for and celebrating life. And, and really touching it because, you know, we're really, as a society and a first world society that we live in, and really a, higher than that being these motorcyclists that are afforded the privilege to take the time off to have the capital to make a ride like this even feasible. We're so disconnected from mortality, from death, from things. And, and you were able to just have a really visceral, existential Time to yourself to really go on a quest, whether that's a vision quest or whatever you want to call it for yourself. You had that capacity to take that time. And um, I don't know about you, the last three years I was a nurse in a pandemic and in grad school, and I didn't have a whole lot of personal time. And so that was just, it was such a gift to have and to, to share with myself and to share with you and all the others out there participating in this communal yet individual experience it's just it, uh it's, it's breathtaking in a lot of ways well said so sorry i can be a, <laughs> a little wordy at times as, as i'm sure you figured out by now too no that's, that's um, good. it's how do you share this with people the only way yeah. to is by telling them the story exactly so you're doing it, it was very yeah, cool. cool and thanks thanks for sharing the space and the time 
Absolutely. I think that wraps up the Hoka Hay story. Kind of. There's Well, it doesn't because there's so much more that you're just not thinking of right oh, now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and I know we still need to get to your favorite part of this, but I don't know if you're going to have to break this into a, a two-episode series or what because we're, we're doing some time together. No, this is about you. Yeah. So what was, speaking of favorite part, everybody asks that question, and they always ask it when you're not thinking about it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, Oh yeah, I did this right. Oh, what was your favorite part? Um, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> what was now that yeah. it's all fresh, fresh ish in your head. Do you have a, something that stands out when people say, what's your favorite? Oh man, that's really hard. Really hard. I, okay. So maybe, maybe not my favorite, but I, but I will share. I, I mentioned this kind of briefly when I got to the Pacific ocean I was looking for a place to kind of to get a a good view because I'd never seen the Pacific. And there was this state park there along the 101 in Oregon. And it was like this big sand dune park. And, and I just peeled off. I'm like, I want to see the ocean. Like I'm, I'm tired of like waiting. I was just, I was itching, itching to see it. And it's, it's an ocean, you know, I, I live on the right off the Atlantic. It's a different ocean, but it's, it's still a big blue water. But I get to the, where the ocean actually is, and there is a three-story tall sand dune. And then on the other and, – and you can't see the ocean at all. And so it just in the joy of, of being there and just being ecstatic after coming off of seeing Crater Lake and being in snow and whatever, and then I ran up this sand dune, like full bore, and then you get up to the top and you can just see the ocean, and it just swoops down beneath you in this big, steep-like – like you could go rolling down it and just, just the absolute, maybe it's not my favorite part, but something that really stuck out to me, just the absolute joy of life, of existence, of catching that. I'm going to use a quote here by Nolan Jacobson that I really love catching the ceaseless flow of quality in every passing moment. Like my, I just remember my heart just being filled with absolute joy as I got to just stand there and look out over the ocean. That was cool. And then I FaceTimed my wife and she was at a 4th of July like barbecue with, with friends of ours back at home. And they were all like, hey, you know, well, uh, it's so good to see you. And I'm like, yeah, well, guess where I am? <laughs> I think. <laughs> so we've, we've gone over so many things. But I, I think just that general, that the, if I had a favorite part of the ride, I think it would be the, the joy and the experience of it all. I can't really name a thing, but that was that was a moment where it was really palpable. That's what I would say. Yeah. Cool. One question that I was asked was, and I, I couldn't come up with it right away, so maybe you can, because now you're talking about this fresh in your head. Yeah. Did you have a recurring thought or feeling or emotion that you remember? That's a good question. I think every day, every day, particularly maybe not so much at sunset because by, by sunset or, or like whenever we were bedding down for the night, I was pretty beat and there wasn't much anything going in my brain about where do I, where do I safely land? But every morning I got up and particularly around the sunrise, kind of twilight hours, just getting back on the bike and getting things started and just like the feeling of blessedness and the ability to have the experience. Like this is good. This is living life in one of the the best ways that i can imagine living it i think that would that would be my my starting 
initial memory. And then the, the, the next one, <laughs> the next one that's pretty regularly in your brain is, did I miss a turn? <laughs> have I gone too far? You know, or did I, did I look at that direction? Right. Cause as you know, with the, the, the guidance on the, the papers, like there's this highway, which is this highway, which is this highway. And they're all named it, but you have to look for the one on the first listed. But sometimes you get off. Um, as we all do out there. Yep. Uh, but yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that leads us to the five questions. So for yeah. everybody still listening. Thank you for still listening, by the way. Thank you. Thank uh, you for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the five <laughs> questions, which you actually mentioned a couple of these. So you didn't mention your answers, but you mentioned that uh, a couple of my questions you had touched on, it seemed like. So they should be fairly easy. Are you ready? Question number one, what is at the top of your bucket list? The top of my bucket list? Oh, man. I I, I don't know how I would do this. <laughs> I guess that makes it a bucket list. I would, I would love to. So part of the preparing for writing this is I watched uh, Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman, different trips that they did, documentaries. I'm never going to have the kind of crew that they have to film it. I'm never going to have that kind of support truck or anything nearby the, the long way around though, like the ability to, to do a, the circumnavigate trip on two wheels would be phenomenal. I don't know how it would happen, but I would love to, to do it. Yeah. That's um, cool. The, uh, the other ones that they've done the long way down to uh, Africa was amazing. And then the most recent long way up on the electric bikes, that was kind of a wild new kind of thing they were trying, but, Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think the, the around the globe to go across Asia and see some of that, see more of Europe, it's kind of tenuous in some of those spots right now. I'd, I'd be a little hard pressed being a military member traveling in some of those countries just for security's sake. But I think that would be an incredible trip. Yeah, for sure. So you almost segued right into question number two. What is, oh, yeah. your, what is your favorite documentary or movie? Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know if I've heard that one from your from your other previous questions, my favorite documentary like that, that obviously those, that series definitely comes to mind. But I, I also, I grew up watching national geographic and all of those types of series and, and documentaries about planet earth. And uh, I'm a bit of a nerdy science kind of guy. I, I love the, the blue planet series. I love anything that David Attenborough narrates. <laughs> I love his voice and I love what you can learn and just see, uh, share in the, the majesty and uniqueness of what happens on the, uh, the pale blue dot that we live on and how, you know, it's the community that's like right at our fingertips and yet a distance away. And uh, we don't think about it as often in our day to day. I love, love those kind of things. That stuff's always fun to watch. Um, let's see. Question number three. I know you said you have a few, but what is your favorite non-motorcycling hobby? I would probably say the, the work with the 501st. And, and you know, I talked about that beforehand. I haven't been able to do it much really in the past few years between grad school and the pandemic. And a lot of our events have been recently canceled. They're, they're coming back now. But the, the ability to be in complete anonymity in one of these uniforms and meet people it's not like you're a jedi where it's like your face like you can't totally be obi-wan kenobi because i don't have you and mcgregor's face 
but anyone can be a stormtrooper and be a stormtrooper and act like one or or not and just meet people in joy as they react to who you are. There's definitely been tears hid behind buckets out of joy and sadness of meeting people in hospital situations when we've gone to visit in children's hospitals and other places, meeting with kids with mitochondrial disease or other things, a different um, Make-A-Wish make a event. The joy of dancing on stage with Weird Al Yankovic, which I've done with him in, in costume as part of his Star Wars parody song. Really? As, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's been really cool. So I've got a, a few photos with Weird Al, and he's super awesome in person, super humble, and thankful anytime we come out to help support his events. Yeah, that 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 that's the ticket, man. I don't have to be me. You, you're not meeting Scrubs. You're meeting this other guy from this other reality, and, and I'm able to like be something to people that they connect with in a deep way that sparks their imagination wildly and takes them maybe out of their own element for just a brief moment and we get to share that moment of joy like that's really cool to share with folks cool question number four what is you've heard this one what is something you believe that other people think is insane oh yeah that's a that is a really good one um, this is sort of from the, that edit time that you'll, you can whittle out while I think about it. <laughs> right. Um, it's funny. I planned for some of these questions in my brain. Like, oh, well, yeah, that would be my answer. Now, now. And, I, and I didn't really think about this question. Um, and this is probably is the most That's often asked one because it was in the first five. Yeah. Yeah. It really <laughs> is. It really is. Um, I, I think I'd, I truly believe in in humanity. I know there's a lot of craziness in the world, but I and there's a lot of stuff that I'm in touch with regularly from uh, my time serving military. The disparity that I've seen in certain places, the misery I've seen in certain places, but and I don't remember the exact quote, but. Uh, I believe in humanity and the kindness in these small acts that we're able to touch the lives of, of others and make the, we look the, the craziness is I believe those things can really make the difference in the world. Oh yeah. Um, and that we all have that opportunity to, to be, be the Gandhi quote, be the change you wish to see in the world by your actions. It's so easy to get caught up, and develop a sense of apathy that nothing that you may do in this world matters, but it does, and it can to somebody. And by you affecting someone else's life, they can in turn and pass it along. And we can we can make a difference. I really think that. I like it. I agree as well. Question number five. Do you have a quote you live your life by or think of often? Yeah, I do. I did think about this one. And it's I think I kind of, I may have mentioned a little earlier, maybe not. And I have it written down so that I don't screw it up because I thought about this. And it's a quote by the late, excuse me, the late theologian, Frederick Buechner. And I heard this quote some time ago, and it's really guided my life a lot. And it says, your vocation in life is where your greatest joy Meet the world's greatest need. Huh. I've not heard that. That's a good one. 
it's also there, there's another paraphrase of it and maybe he's repeated it in a different way but vocation is the the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need but from my earlier talk in the conversation about vocation and true calling as to what, what are you where are you called to be what are you called to do how are you spoken to how does it feed your soul and then how in turn do you feed others by it that's where the world need is and that's where you're I mean, both are fed in that and so the, the the shift for me from spiritual care of folks to physiologic care to people that was part of it being a part of this ride and setting aside the money and finding the time and the universe aligning and everything that happened to be part of this ride and then and also to help raise money for veterans in need and and our auxiliary scholarship fund much like you raised uh, your funds for the Masonic fund that you were working with. That was, that too was vocation. It was a, it was a calling. It was something that we were part of that was bigger than ourselves that we felt gifted and blessed by and a part of in a very deep sense, because I don't think anybody would just do this flippantly. Being part of the Hoka Hay motorcycle challenge this past year was, was maybe speaking to that quote too. But yeah, finding that place. I think that's where we're all, where we're all called to be. And that's how we make the world a better place. So that's what, what speaks to me. Very, very true. Um, let's see notes. I know we've been talking about the Hoka So if folks, if you want to go find the Hoka it's hokaheychallenge.com. We got Scrubs' story today, Alex Brown. Where can we follow you? Social media. Yes, I think the easiest way would be on Instagram. I haven't posted a lot here since the Hokahe because I've been moving and transitioning in jobs. But uh, Scrubs on Two Wheels, that's the letter, the number two, Scrubs on Two Wheels, is my Instagram handle. I also have a TikTok handle by the same name, but I haven't posted any tiktok videos. I have purchased some stuff to hopefully write and clip and do some videos from my travels from the Hokahe this summer and future motorbike travels. So hopefully you'll be able to see stuff, but connect there, send me a message and say, Hey, this is who I am. This is how I found you. Cause otherwise I'm kind of tenuous on, on accepting everybody. It is a private thing for security sake, but send me a message and uh, we'll connect. I'll be happy to talk to anybody. And uh, similarly, just like other guests of yours that said, reach out, I'll talk. Just like Paco did for me when I reached out to him to talk about food and diet on this trip, I will do the same. So yeah, reach out. Cool. Do you have any asks or requests of the audience? I think that would be find your version of Frederick Buechner's quote. Find where, where, what feeds you, what makes you hungry. Go out and do it. There's another quote that I love. It's actually the uh, state motto for South Carolina and Kansas, I think, Doom Spiral Sparrow, which means while I breathe, I hope. So each breath is a gift. And uh, do something with it. Make the most of your day. And uh, it doesn't matter what that is. Find something that speaks to you and make the most of it. Cool. That sounds like that would also be your last, your your, your uh, final yeah. parting words. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. So. I think that's all well, we got. You. This is the, uh, yeah. the longest podcast ever so far. Episode 23. <laughs> and... Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not sure if I'm going to get another one in this year. I'm just flat running out of time. I'm going to do my best, but 
Folks, if you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You can follow the adventures on Facebook or Instagram by looking for The Real Wild Ass. Of course, I am Wild Ass Craig. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you again in a couple weeks. And of course, thank you again, Scrubs, for coming on. Certainly. Thanks for having me.